Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us for episode 162. Uh, we're recording this Sunday, February 6, 2022, at 4 p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. We also have Todd. We also have Zach. How's it going, guys? Oh, it's scintillating. It's just fantastic. Scintillating. Going back to the theater and watching... I mean, I don't want to spoil my review, but having seen Jackass forever, it just... In a theater, it reminds you how great life is. It takes you back to an earlier time in your life, you know? Like when, when Knoxville didn't get concussions. Or when he did get concussions, but could it was okay because he, yeah. he wasn't fifty yet. Yeah. Um I, I think I think we should do this do this now so it's out there beforehand. Super Bowl prediction. Who's 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 winning the Super Bowl, Todd? The under. Yes. The, the I like, under? I love that. I like pick. the under. I, I've already bet the first quarter under nine and a half. Love I love that bet. But uh Okay. My score prediction? Shit, I don't know. Like, I'm gonna say Rams nineteen, but uh, Bengals seventeen. That's a low scoring game. Okay, all right. That's what Zach, under. Oh uh, yeah. Two yeah. two offensive coaches that know each other very well. Yes, that's very true. Yeah, I mean, as much as I want to keep rolling with this Bengals train slash rationalize that inexplicable loss last week um i don't know the bengals i don't think have been overly impressive i mean they've you know they they could have lost easily to any one of those teams any one of their three playoff games they didn't play the bills the rams haven't played the cowboys or the packers i don't feel like either of these teams are truly great i think it defaults to the more experienced team and the home team and I think, sadly, the Bengals feel a lot like that Rams team four years ago with uh, with Jared Goff. So I'm going I'm going to say Rams 24, Bengals 10. I think it's a, a low scoring, ugly game where no one looks good. Are, are they the so, Rams team from four years ago or are they the 2001 Patriots? That That's what I well, keep rolling around in my head. That's yeah. I mean, but at least <laughs> that Patriots team beat some Giants that year and they had some amazing uh performances and i don't know i just i i don't know if i see it out of this bengals team they're the they're great the 2012 story, uh ravens is what what i keep seeing oh i that's thought that was that also didn't have a great defense like it had some miraculous wins in the playoffs and nobody thought they were the best team at any point that year and somehow they won the thing i thought that was your comparison to the rams not the bengals that feels more like the rams team they they got you know some stars and Stafford can hurl it downfield, and they have some random free agents like the Ravens did that year. I don't know. I don't trust Stafford. This will be – he has never played in a truly big game before other than the last, like, couple. And, and, you know, it's just one of those – this happens every once in a while. We can all agree that Chiefs-Bills was the Super Bowl. There's no way that this game can live up to that, and there's no way these two teams are better than those two. Well, and it, it feels like – well, the, the Bengals did beat the Chiefs. I need to remind you of that, Zach. Um, Thanks for reminding. I haven't. Yeah, no problem. I'm trying to get that uh, out of my mind for the last seven days. The the one thing though that I keep coming back to with this also is it feels like, um, 
the Rams survived the NFC and the Bengals won the AFC. So it's like, it's a team that goes out and takes the win versus a team that kind of backed their way into some wins to get there. I don't know. I'm everything in me is saying the Rams is like the obvious choice, but there's something there that's like, but the Bengals, if they, if they come out and are, are not intimidated by the moment or, or finally realizing what, what they're doing, they, they win this thing. I don't think Joe Burrow gets in. I don't think Joe Burrow gets intimidated by the moment. Just look at all those second-year quarterbacks that first and second-year quarterbacks that struggled in Super Bowls. I'm particularly looking like Kaepernick and Foles, or not Foles, excuse me, Goff, and like those guys suck. Russell Wilson, Tom Brady. I mean, there's there's those guys too, and I think that's more similar to Burrow than those guys. Could be. I'll take the Bengals. I'll take the Bengals. Let's see here. Uh, Twenty-seven, twenty-one. What's the over-under on uh, Sean McVay challenges? Four and a half? I think I, I, think <laughs> I might go with the over. All right. Let, let's get into this because we got a ton to talk about today as we have a review. We're talking Oscar predictions and uh, all our all our other uh, nonsense as well. But first, Zach, what are you drinking? I'm having some water question mark. <laughs> Very nice, very nice. Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, I have from the Kona Brewing Company the Big Wave Golden Ale. Kona beer's good. Kona beer's good. Seems more like a Terry pick. It was in my fridge. I don't remember where I got it, but you know, (laughs) I haven't drank Kona in a long time. So I uh, I got to spend a couple days this week in Bend, and Bend is like the brewery capital of like the United States. So I stopped at a couple of them and brought some beer home. So this is from, from the worthy brewery in Bend, Oregon. This is their, their Saturn gold hazy IPA. It's really good. good. I had it on tap there. I will say it's much better on tap, but that kind of goes for everything. Anyways, that's not true. A, A good can of PBR, I think, is better than any other version of PBR. As long Anyone as wastes a tap on PBR, exactly. There's yeah. there's a problem with your with your bar. Um, okay, let's talk about what we've been watching this week. Todd, you go first. Uh, so pretty much all I'm watching now is like Spirit Award screeners because I need to watch uh, still like ten more movies in the next sixteen days, um, so I can vote. <laughs> and one of them I watched was on Adam's top ten. Is this number ten movie? It's called Pleasure which is directed by Ninja Thyberg. And uh, it's about this girl, Bella Cherry, who's a, who's from Sweden, and she moves to L.A. to become a porn star. And she finds it kind of more difficult than she thought uh, it was going to be to break through and get people to actually care about your videos. And so she starts to get into more serious stuff, like BDSM fetishy kinds of work. And she has this one friend, Ava, who was really like sort of telling her how to build her brand and get better roles. It's a pretty experimental movie because it looks really artsy, but it also is, like, really porny. Like, I mean, the, the directing is, like, kind of... I mean, it's really good, but I, I think it doesn't have any depth in the script. But the images are just like watching low-budget porn a lot of the times. Like, I get it. You have no boundaries, but how many times am I going to have to watch, like, some guy, like, jerking off to get ready for a scene? Like, I mean, it, it is so explicit and everything. I don't even know how this is actually getting, like, uh, 
like wide uh, release. It's not really wide, obviously. It's an independent movie, but you know what I mean. It was nominated for Best Director and Best Supporting Actress uh, at the Spirit Awards, and the, the Zelda Morrison was like the best part of the movie. But I don't know why <laughs> has this in his top ten. Like, I thought at times it was supposed to be a comedy because it is really like wannabe provocative, but it's not bad. The director has talent, but it's it, it's like similar to the girlfriend and experience for me, where it's like th- these are all actual like real life porn actors in this movie. There's no like uh, like buddy that knows how to perform in a in a legitimate drama movie. So I'm giving it two and a half stars. I didn't I didn't necessarily hate it, but I'm just like I don't know, Adam. That's that's an interesting choice. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I mean, what's the over? We we need we forgot to do this when we unveil our top ten list. What's the over under at, every year for Adam having like movies that he just saw on screeners that he wants to throw out there that he saw before everybody else? I mean, it's yeah, like that's like, like, like two and a half on on every every single list. Like he also had that Mexican movie about like the massacre at the wedding or something. I don't think anyone's seen that. Oh, that was yeah, that wasn't even one of those. He watched that like way earlier. Was it? Um... No, don't remember what it was called. Michelle Franco. Directed. Yes, that's right. Former Philadelphia Philly. Yeah. I remember that joke. <laughs> all right. All right. Was there any ejaculation midair, Todd? That will do. There was no skyjacking. It. No. Damn there's... it. So it's not worth not worth watching. Probably not. Uh... Could have hired Steve-O. Missed opportunity. No. Missed yeah, opportunity. No, that would have been awesome. All right, I'll go next. Million dollar teeth. (laughs) All right, uh, my Oscar watch this week, I went back 20 years to a best animated uh, nominee. Um, Yeah, for some reason, they they started this, this category in 2001, had three nominees. And for some reason, they decided, you know, after they had to try and get I had to get like Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius in the, on the list to just get to three. They decided, oh, in 2002, we should have five nominees. And then they realized the error of their ways because then for the next, let's see here, six years, they went back to three, um, but waiting for there to actually be enough good movies. Anyways, uh, my watch this week was Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Um, and... It actually wasn't horrible. It it was a DreamWorks animated movie uh, about uh, a horse, a wild stallion in the uh, in the Midwest as Western expansion is happening in the 1800s. And um, and he's getting captured by by uh, the Americans moving their way out um, and getting saved by Native Americans who are all fighting for the land, which is what he's kind of doing too. He's fighting for his freedom. Um, It's directed by Kelly Asbury and Lorna Cook. Uh, The voices in it are pretty good. You've got Matt Damon in there, James Cromwell. Matt Damon plays the horse um, who never talks, but he has narration, which is kind of weird. So he's the narration of the horse. James Cromwell plays the head of the American troops moving, moving west. Um, I mean, it was entertaining. Uh, I'm giving it two and a half stars. Uh, y- you had a way too much narration for a for an animated movie like this, and there were way too many like musical montages. Like every five minutes, it was like, "All right, we're gonna play another Phil Collins song now." 
and just watch the horses run. Um, and yeah, it, it, so it was fine. It, it, it's a movie that if it were to come out today, it would be a straight to streaming movie that no one would ever hear of. But because it was 20 years ago when they were trying to fill out a lineup of five, it got nominated for best animated film at the Oscars. So um, two and a half stars, perfectly average animated movie. Now, did you watch the sequel is the question. The sequel that came out in the last year, I believe. Uh, Spirit Untamed. I have not watched the sequel yet. No. But because I'm I sure think... that could happen soon with the kids. I've it only seen awful. two animated movies from 2002. So, Yeah, and that's the thing I realized, too. I had, I think, I had not seen a single one of the animated nominees that year. There were a couple that are like, wow, how did I never see that? Like Lilo and Stitch and Ice Age. Um, never, never got to Spirited Away. And the other two are Spirit and Treasure Planet. I mean, such a odd list. <laughs> no, no Pixar movie that year, obviously. Yeah, that list is very. It, that list. Someone could make a documentary about that list, like a thirty for thirty <laughs> about that year's animation nominees, because it kind of says a lot about the splintering of animation studios and where it was going, and maybe what wasn't trending anymore. I mean, Treasure Treasure Planet was one of the biggest bombs in movie history, I believe. And it kind of spelled the, the, you know, it was like the death of t traditional 2D animation put out by Disney. And then, like, Spirited Away is maybe the greatest Miyazaki movie. You haven't seen Spirited Away? No. I'll, I'll be catching it amazing. this year. That's like a top, um, I would say it's a top five animated movie for me of all time. Well, and, and I think it's interesting that this is when Miyazaki got his, got his Oscar, only the second time or second year they had the category. Because then it, after that, it was basically a yearly Pixar thing. And because next you had Finding Nemo, then The Incredibles. And they took a year off so Wallace and Gromit could win one. But then, And then uh, Happy Feet won in there because Cars wasn't winning. But Ratatouille, Wall-E, Up, Toy Story 3. I, they kind of had a stranglehold on the category for a while. So Miyazaki got his win before Pixar really took off. All right, Zach. What did you watch this week? I actually watched a Miyazaki movie this week. I wasn't. I'm, I'm not going to talk about it, but I, I did. I watched. Uh, it was something called Porco Rosso, which I'd never seen before. But I wasn't going to talk about that. Uh, it was good, but it was a weird Miyazaki movie, like really different. Um, the, what, what I was going to talk about was, uh, you know, I got snowed in on Wednesday, a part of this big snowstorm across the country. So Wednesday was also the release date on Hulu of Pam and Tommy. Perfect oh. coincidence, great happenstance. In fact, I was texting Todd. I didn't even realize it was the day that it came out. So I was like, Todd, you've been watching this shit, right? And he's like, oh, I'm at work. I'm like, well, what do you mean? I haven't even watched it. He's like, it, it just came out today. And so it was all, it was the stars were aligned perfectly uh, for me to st uh, stream it. And I, I do have to say, I don't love talking about a series where the only, just the first three episodes dropped uh, because there's eight episodes in this, but oh my God, it is amazing. I, it blew all, all expectations out of the water. I'm, I, you know, I, we're talking about pleasure. Pam and Tommy is also about the porn industry at a standstill, at a point of transition um, in the mid-1990s, uh, kind of going from VHS and very seedy to more mainstream online distribution platforms. Um, and it's also great because we were just talking about uh, Seth Rogen last week, and I think none of us were fully satisfied with what our pick was for the, the 
best Seth Rogen performance. And I'm not sure if his performance in Tam, uh, Pam and Tommy is his best performance, but he is amazing in it. He plays, uh, his character name is, uh, oh gosh, and of course it's not listed on here. Why isn't he like first listed? I think his name is like Rand something. I can't remember. But he's the guy that basically comes across the tape. And uh, he doesn't, I, the first five minutes of this show he's introduced, I didn't even recognize him. Um, and uh, he has uh, a vendetta against Tommy Lee that they kind of go into. I love Sebastian Stam as Tommy Lee. Not only does he look like Tommy Lee, like creepily similar, like it is perfect casting, but I also love that this show makes Tommy Lee into a total douchebag. We need to rename this award uh, the Tommy Lee Douchebag Award when you guys watch this because his douchebag level is off the charts in this show. It is unapologetic uh, showing what an asshole he was. Um, but it's just a fascinating show, showing the stardom of uh, Pamela Anderson by the mid-1990s. I actually went back. I didn't watch Barbed Wire, but I did watch the trailer for it and the Siskel and Ebert review of it. Ebert was kind of a fan of Barbed Wire. He almost gave it three stars. I think he was the only one out there. Um, but yeah, I, I love Pam and Tommy. Just uh, really just great uh, entertainment. Uh, Craig Gillespie, I think, is super talented. It's not just an I, Tanya type ripoff. It does its own thing. It does a lot of cool stuff with the narration. And I just got to say, there's a scene, I don't want to spoil too much, but there is a scene when Tommy Lee talks to his penis that is, uh, you know, again, Emmy, Golden Globe, just give it to Sebastian Stan right now because no one, no one could do that better with the exception of maybe uh, Steve-O. <coughs> Wow. Yeah. I need to watch this. I really want to watch it. Well, Machine Gun Kelly played Tommy Lee in The Dirt, and he is in uh, Jackass Forever. So It all comes full circle. It does. It's all conspiracy. Full circle. He, is a, he was a really good Tommy Lee, though. But, I mean, I'm sure Sebastian Stan. He looks more like him, for sure. Yeah, and Lily James doesn't per, doesn't totally look like Pam Anderson. It's kind of a reminder that her, you know, she just, it'd be really hard to cast anybody in that role, but she exudes Pam Anderson really well. And I think there's a depth to that character that I like that the show is capturing because I've actually always found Pam Anderson to be kind of interesting to listen to and a fairly informed person in real life. And I think the, the show is leaning into that. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll get updates each week as the new episodes drop from from zach and as we get caught up too all right well let's move into our featured review i love this movie so much i did not really like this film at all this is the most zach movie ever made you gotta see it movie reviews if, if you are unaware of what we're reviewing here if you haven't been paying attention it's only been mentioned a few times todd is now wearing his steve-o hat uh we are reviewing jackass forever again don't know where don't know when but i know we'll meet again some sunny day hello i'm johnny knoxville welcome to jackass What will Jackass be like once we're older? Well, it'll get more mature. The faster you pedal your bike, the faster the other guy's hand goes back. You said it wasn't going to feel like anything. Concussions aren't great, but as long as you have them before you're 50, 
It's cool. And Knoxville's 49. So we're good. Can you feel my heart? <laughs> wow. Today, we're going to do a little furniture shopping. I've been watching Jackass since I was 12 years old. And guess what? We're here. Winners, and we have Steve-O. There ain't a bunch of NASA scientists right now. What did you guys do to Eric? Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. You still got those million dollar teeth, that's for sure. <laughs> Gee, didn't set myself up for failure on this one. Aaron, please relax. I'm trapped. And you're putting honey on me and salmon? Oh my god. Oh my god. Finally released. It got delayed a few times, but it's out there now. We watched it. Let's hear who's starting this one out. Todd, you're wearing a Steve-O hat. I think you need to start out talking about Jackass Forever. So okay. tell us all about it and what you thought. Uh, so it's directed by Jeff Tremaine because he directs these movies and he's awesome. But this is what we've all been waiting for. So when I got to the theater yesterday, or Friday, it was Friday, yeah, Friday night. Well, I, I was walking in and I was, and there was a cop right next to the ticket taker. And he, would, he was asking everybody, are you seeing Spider-Man or are you seeing Jackass? Are you seeing Spider-Man or are you seeing Jackass? When he got to me, he's like, are you seeing Spider-Man or are you, I just saw your hat. I saw his comedy tour in Colorado last year, and it was like this, it was it was like this whole thing. I was like, oh, okay, I just made friends with the cop because he's a fan, and he was checking IDs going into the thing, which I've never seen a cop have to do before. But, oh wow! Uh, it was yeah. So that was that was cool. I mean, I yeah, my my hat made it very clear what movie I was going to. But yeah, this movie freaking rocks. Like I don't even know how to review it. Like it's the guys are getting old. And there are a few times when you're not really sure if they're even really enjoying themselves anymore, if they're going to die <laughs> when they get run over by a bull or whatever the hell they're doing. But it's like a mixtape of all of these like recurring gags, the, you know, the, the pranks, the gimmicks, the, the, the bathroom humor, like even uh, Steve-O getting his balls stung by a ton of bees, like stuff like that is awesome. And it's just like so stupid at the same time. And that's why this is, this is so great. But what, what makes this movie a little bit different is that there's a lot of new faces in the group. There's some females. There's some like younger people we haven't seen before, which makes me feel like Jackass really is forever. Like the legacy is going to live on. Like I, I know this is billed as like sort of the last hurrah, but I'm sure that's probably mostly just for Knoxville, at least on screen. I'm sure he wouldn't be able to pass up like a producing job if they were to make another one. Steve is way too deranged to say no, regardless. Like he'll, he'll be out there forever. But uh, the I don't know the new people. I think work pretty well, and, and it's it's just like a celebration of delinquency in an older age, and I and I just love that. And the audience I was with was pretty full. It took about a half hour for them to really get into the rhythm of it because uh, it, it, it uh, I was like dying the whole time. But I mean, it was like about 30 minutes before the, the whole room was just roaring the rest of the time. And I don't know if this is really a movie. I, I mean, th this definitely probably isn't a review. But I mean, this is the best <laughs> thing I've seen in 2022. It's probably going to be the best documentary I watched for a quite a while. And um, I, I like Jackass 3D a little bit more just because it was so creative and how they were using that medium to tell their their stories and do their crazy shit but 
I mean, this is a great entry into the franchise, and it is a, a an obvious three stars. I mean, it could be three and a half, but I mean, hey, I, I got to be a little bit of a critic, right? I, I guess, I guess. Zach? Yeah, well, you know, Matt Zoller, I shouldn't even mention this, but Matt Zoller's sites on uh, RogerEbert.com gave it four stars, but I think that was because he wanted to be the critic to give it four stars, more so than an authentic four-star review, which I have an issue with. Um, my experience of it uh, was similar, although not really. I didn't have a police officer there. I, I was in a mostly empty theater. I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, but I was like all alone in my row, and then these two bros come in, and they sit right next to me. Now, I mean, is there some sort of movie <laughs> etiquette? Like, come on, guy, we're supposed to be laughing at this. If you're sitting right next to me, it's just not. It's I don't know. So I moved over. I think we need to establish some sort of rules about that. But listen, once we got in this movie, I agree. It takes a little bit of time at first to get into it. Uh, I think that opening sequence is like, what is going on? It's like, <laughs> kind of like a mixture of like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Isle of the Dogs or something. I don't know what what was happening there. Um, it becomes apparent very quickly what's happening. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is a nostalgia trip. You know, you, you kind of remember uh, who these people are. You think back to some of their biggest gags. Uh, and, you know, there's footage from the previous movies. Some of the gags are directly inspired by previous movies. Um, it is fun seeing the, the gang get older. I do like a lot of the new faces. I like the, the celebrity cameos. Um, you know, you pay your money and you get what what you get out of it. Like this this movie delivers. It 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 absolutely entertains. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It doesn't try to be serious. It doesn't try to have any sort of messaging. Um, at least at least overtly. I think there is a messaging in this movie about being inclusive and being you know uh, you know friendly to people and. I, you know, the, the, the gags that work for me are the ones where you can see their genuine reactions. Like there's one, there's a really great gag in this movie that involves turning off the lights and like seeing their genuine <laughs> reactions to that to me is more interesting than the stuff where they actually have people on the street. And, you know, like there's a gag that you saw in the trailer where it was uh, Johnny Knoxville's old man in the furniture store. It's like they obviously kind of staged that. I don't like that sort of stuff isn't as interesting to me. Um, but it's also interesting seeing the gags mess up. Um, that's always fun. And that kind of recalls some of the stuff in, in Jackass 3D as well. Um, I, I went on a little bit of a YouTube deep dive looking at some of the earlier Jackass movies. And I think they've gotten better in part because uh, the footage from like the first Jackass movie is so crude. It just looks like a home video. And I think they actually really do a good job of like ramping up the aesthetics. Like the footage in this movie looks really good. And frankly, it's kind of amazing that with all the antics and all the shit that could go wrong, that like nothing actually happens to the camera equipment. There's a few times when the camera guy in this movie starts vomiting, which is, I think, <laughs> hilarious. Uh, we see Jeff Tremaine. Jeff Tremaine is obviously the biggest douche of this movie. I think he leaves. The, he's he's pretty uh, he's pretty obnoxious as a director because there's several times when the actors call to stop the the, the cut and he just wants to keep going. Um, I've never loved the animal cruelty in this in the Jackass movies, uh, but I think this one for the most part is okay. It's not as bad as some of the other ones. Um, and uh, yeah, I just it. I think that we should talk about who goes through the most trauma of this movie. I think the answer is Aaron, but I think Steve-O is a close second. Um, but Aaron goes through a sequence kind of uh, in the middle of this movie, three stunts, I think it's actually four stunts in a row that they kind of show back to back to back to back. And that had my theater just 
we couldn't no one could watch it we uh, people were literally squirming in their seats uh with with that sequence maybe more than any other sequence in the movie so uh, i agree i love it it's my favorite movie of 2022 so far and i give it a solid three stars yeah so so this is my first experience with anything jackass um i've I've seen some sketches, um, but I've never seen a full episode of Jackass. I've never seen any of the movies. <clears throat> so this is like my first like full immersive experience of of Jackass. And you're right. It took a little while to get into, but it's just so stupid and funny it that you, you just it, it's like. I, I was thinking about him like this is like the the ultimate like unifying force in the world. Like we are we are arguing about so many different things in the world today, and and we're so polar opposite in so many different areas. But there's one thing that we can all agree on, and that is Jackass is hilarious, <laughs> and and we can all just stop and laugh at these idiots that just enjoy having fun together and turn a camera on for it. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, I, I'll, I'll be the one that does it. I'm going three and a half stars. Uh, nice. now who, who does, who goes through the most trauma? This is, this is interesting because yeah, I mean, Aaron is a good choice for that. By the way, the, the bear scene does not disappoint. Like that is as, as, as advertised. Knoxville does only like two or three things in the entire movie, but reading up on the bull scene, like he had a brain hemorrhage and was in the hospital for like a couple months after that. So, I mean, he didn't do much, but I think the reason is because what he did was so bad that he couldn't do anything else. So I'm going to say Knoxville had the most trauma. Hard to hard to argue. I mean, I I think Aaron, because Aaron is the one that has the best reactions to stuff. Like I mean, <laughs> in, in like in Impractical Jokers, that'd be Sal. You know, like he's he's the, he's that guy where it's like, but well, they keep putting him in there because he's going to have the most extreme reaction. And so I think that's probably why we probably think it's him. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Well, I'll go ahead, Zach. It's possible. I think Wee Man has a couple stunts in this movie, one that involves a bird that is pretty uh, hard to imagine anyone um, going through or enjoying. I don't know. I was trying to think of what if I had if, if there was a gun to my head and I had to do one of these stunts, which one would I agree to do? And the, I will say the one with ping pong, it apparently was not painful. So, so maybe <laughs> you go with that one. Uh Apparently, apparently apparently not painful who knew i <laughs> i mean there's like a there's a very, you learn like, something new every day there's scientific interest in this movie for sure and i don't know i don't know if i agree with your statement terry that it's like constantly hilarious but like these guys just they deliver that they're not sleepwalking through anything in this movie they are giving a hundred percent 110 percent and which is, says something because so many of them are old right now and I think it takes a sort of perverse creativity to come up with these sometimes Rube Goldberg type uh, sketches uh, and, and to not get accused of, you know, 
being uh, repetitive or redundant. Um, I think there's a certain rhythm to this movie in terms of maybe editing of the sequences that's really interesting. Like sometimes it goes from like a shocking and grotesque stunt to one that involves animals to one that involves, um, you know, fear or one that involves really big set pieces. They they never grow repetitive. Uh, And the movie is timed, I think, really well. So like, I think there's a weird sort of perverse craft in, in the filmmaking of this movie. I don't know exactly how to put my finger on it, but like, I don't, it, it, it works. So uh, bravo to the critics for, for finally recognizing it. I think it's also interesting. This movie came out the same weekend as that horrible Halle Berry movie, the Roland Emmerich movie, which is going to be the biggest, one of the biggest bombs in Hollywood history. And it's like, both of those movies would have come out 20 years ago, but Jackass is the movie that has transcendence and uh, can, you know, be relevant for 2022. Whereas Roland Emmerich uh, should never make any more movies. Yeah, did you hear he blamed Marvel for the reason his movie is flopping? I did not. Yeah, I would blame he, them too. He blames Marvel. So does Scorsese. <laughs> All right. Well, we are thrice approved on Jackass Forever. Go watch it. I, I was in a, a, a mostly empty. There were probably like 20 people in there with me. But uh, it was enough to feel what? the presence of, of the other people. Real fast, guys. We got to say, what was what was your favorite gag in the movie? The lights Favorite out. Stunt. The lights out. That was uh, just so good. Yeah, that was that was pretty intense. Uh, <laughs> and then to have the other room set up like that was just oh, that was so funny. Well, I mean, I love stuff that they, that they're just like doing shit to each other. Like like Knoxville just for some reason decided he was going to shoot a ball at Steve-O's head when he came out of a door. <laughs> yeah, like that kind of thing. I was like, okay, I'm pretty simple, but I, I mean, I laugh my ass off. That, that was right. That, that was like the first like laugh out loud moment I had in the whole movie. And it that, doesn't, that it doesn't take all. a lot of sophistication sometimes for the best gags. I agree. Sometimes simple is better. I was going to mention the second gag in the movie, the Dum Dum Games, when uh, when when Poopsies <laughs> gets that first question wrong, and then Knoxville's reaction is so genuine, he's like, "Oh my God, you're not going to get this. This is not going to go well for you." <laughs> that was the first real laugh out loud moment for me in that movie because that was that that was. Uh, astonishing that he didn't know the answer to that but it was somehow appropriate too oh yeah that was good that was good all right thrice approved on jackass forever go see it while it's in the theater it's worth it all right moving on to our spotlight segment spotlight and for this we are talking oscars this Tuesday morning and the wee hours of the morning, the Oscar nominations will be revealed. Um, I heard somebody say, and I agree with them, why do they do this early morning thing? This should be like a primetime special because people would watch it. Like maybe if they did that and people would watch that, people would might well, more people might watch the Oscars. I don't know. Anyways, but yeah, 5 a.m. Pacific time, we're going to have Oscar nominations. So we took our, our best stab at predicting what's going to happen. Todd is our Oscar expert. He put out his uh, his Oscar uh, prediction article where he predicted all the categories. We're just going to really quickly go through the above the line eight categories, picture director, the actors, and then the uh, the screenplays and, and kind of see where we're at. Uh, on our website right now, go to almostsideways.com. There's a big button at the top that says final Oscar predictions. You can see all of our predictions there. But... Uh, 
let's let's go through this. Do we want to start start with screenplay and just kind of work our way through? And we'll, we'll try and go to we'll try and go quick so it doesn't take us too long. Um, there's not a whole lot of difference in the screenplays, and and this is kind of I will say there's kind of a consensus on who the front runners are in this for all but maybe one category. But uh, what's going to be interesting is who else gets nominated alongside them. So uh, best adapted screenplay. Um, we basically have the same. Do we all have the exact same group? No, no. no there's one small difference here. So uh, what should we just read them off? Todd, you read off your uh, your five for adapted screenplay. Uh, I have The Power of the Dog, Dune, The Lost Daughter, Drive My Car, and Coda. And I have the same five. I think Dune is a little more vulnerable than you say, though. Uh, Zach, who do you have? I had four of those five. I uh, changed out Coda for Chick Chick Boom, <coughs> which I don't really have any reason to do. I just sort of think Tick Tick Boom maybe had... I think it... I don't know. I, I feel like uh, the, both those movies are are similar movies in a lot of ways, um, but I don't know. I don't. I don't have any reason for it. Okay. I, I think I, I feel like Coda is a, a pretty good lock. I mean, if if it's getting a Best Picture nomination, which it feels pretty comfortable for, I think it's it's yeah. pretty well locked in. Right. You guys are probably you, you guys are probably right. I don't know if it's the the only lock. I think it's the Power of the Dog. The other ones I could all see being switched out for a few other movies like. Uh, tragedy Macbeth or West Side um, Story, passing or yeah, West Side Story. Yeah, wouldn't that be interesting if both Tick Tick Boom and West Side Story sn- snuck in there? Two musicals in adapted screenplay. Yeah, that would be unique. Yeah, and I mean, both of them have big names to them too. Like uh, you have Tony Kushner with West Side Story. I sometimes think that the Academy likes to go with names sometimes rather than the movie. Um, which mm-hmm. is maybe why I have, be, you know, I think maybe we all do, but I thought being being the Ricardos, even though it's it's a flawed movie, seems like that's bound to get an original screenplay nomination. Yeah. Well, then let's go to original screenplay. So, Todd, who do you have? I have Belfast, Licorice uh, <laughs> Pizza, Being the Ricardos, Don't Look Up, and King Richard. The four first four of which I listed as being a lock. Yeah, I have the same first four. So, Belfast, Licorice Pizza. I have Don't Look Up in third, being the Ricardos, and then I have the French Dispatch sneaking into the last slot. Zach? Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, because they want to give another Coppola an Oscar nomination, and Jason Schwartzman is credited with uh, the screenplay. Oh, so there we go. Expand the empire one more spot. <laughs> Zach, what do you got? Yeah, I have the exact same as, uh, as Todd, but um, I'm intrigued by Adam's pick of Come On, Come On. I, I am, don't... too. It, it's not I don't think that's impossible. I would actually kind of like to see that nomination. Well, but, and uh, I know Mike Mills last film, 20th Century Women, snuck in for an original screenplay nomination as a sole nominee. And yeah. there always seems to be that one movie that just gets a sole screenplay nomination. And so that that's the other reason I, I thought French Dispatch could sneak in there because it, it might need one. I could, I would maybe exchange out. Don't look up, and, and my flyer would maybe be uh, Parallel Mothers because Almodovar uh, mm. won uh, a screenplay twenty years ago. Again, it's a name, you know, it's a recognizable name for a movie that There's got no way, don't a lot of better reviews than Don't Look yeah. Up. Yeah, Don't Look Up is, I, it, it's, it's going to get in there. If it gets yeah. in, I mean, I picked it for a reason. Screenplay. 
I picked it for a reason. I agree with you guys. I just think, you know, I, I wanted to put Parallel Mothers in the flyer. Yeah. Yeah. King Richard is the vulnerable one because it's the one that it doesn't really feel like the same place. <laughs> I, in my article, I compared it to uh, when John Gaytons got nominated for Flight. It's sort of one of those things where it's just like, it, this is just like a genre movie pretty much. And it's not really a screenplay thing, but it's it could get in just because they like the movie. What about worst person in the world? Any any chance of that? Original screenplay would be that'd be tough. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know if enough people have seen it yet. That's the thing. I would think like the a, hero what, probably has a better chance. Yeah, if if there's gonna be a foreign a foreign screenplay to get in, you say a hero, Todd. Oh well, well drive my car mothers. got into adapted parallel mothers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I agree that I agree that King Richard's vulnerable. Yeah, that's why I didn't pick it. Um, all right, supporting actress, and Todd, in your picks, it kind of shows that you think King Richard is a little vulnerable as well. Uh, what What are your five? Uh, so I have Ariana DeBose and Kristen Dunst. I have listed as locks, and then I have Ruth Nega, who appears to be pretty safe now. Katriana Ball, and I have Anne Dowd getting the last spot, which. I know she's only gotten like two nominations, like major so far, but it just seems like one of those things where eventually they're just going to realize, okay, this is this really was one of the best performances of the year, and that's the kind of thing that it could be the Javier Bardem <laughs> beautiful or something, you know? Yeah, this was your big stab was going going add and Dowd sneaking in for mass. Um, I've got the same first four, um, Ariana Debose, who I think is the biggest lock for a win out of anybody on, on here right now. Kirsten Dunst, uh, Katrina Balfe, Ruth Nega, and then I've got Anjanue Ellis for King Richard, who has been getting getting in everywhere, and so it would make sense except that SAG. she would get in here. Except SAG, that's true. Um, but I, I've got her in here. Um, and, I mean, this might be... This is the safest I went in the acting categories. I'll just say that. We'll get to the rest later. Uh, Zach, what do you got? I don't think there's any way Ann Dowd makes it, but I, hey, I, I, I like the, I like the ballsiness. Um, okay, I, I have the exact same as Terry. I think if, if, if there is someone we're missing, um, it's uh, either Marley Matlin or uh, maybe Kate Blanchett. But I, or I don't Toronto. know. Uh, yeah. Gun to my head, I'd go Marley Matlin. But I don't know. No, which Kate Blanchett performance? Oh, uh, Nightmare Alley. Because she's gotten some nominations for Don't Look Up as well. Yeah, so. but I think I think the SAG, the SAG nomination was was meaningful. My, my Tommy Lee Jones in the Valley of the Shocker prediction would be Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter. Yeah, that's not terrible either. I think the, I think she's more likely than Ann Dowd. So Adam did have Kate Blanchett sneaking in um, over Katrina Balfe. So that's crazy. That that yeah, that might be a little crazy. I th I think I, I don't think Katrina Balfe is a lock, but I mean, to, I wouldn't predict <laughs> Kate Blanchett over that is is kind of ridiculous. I think Ruth Nega gets gets nominated simply because she's a past nominee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a movie that got a lot of critical praise. It's not going to get a Best Picture nomination, but. I think we're in this egalitarian era of the Oscars when they want to recognize a lot of different movies as much as possible, even if they can't be Best Picture nominees. Yeah. All right. Best Supporting Actor. Todd, who do you got? Cody Smith-McPhee, 
for the power of the dog, Jared Leto for House of Gucci, Troy Kotzer for Coda, all three of which are, I think are absolute locks. And then I have Bradley Cooper for Licorice Pizza and uh, Sierran Hines for Belfast, which I mean, and those the last two spots were the hardest ones to come to get down to those two. But yeah. Yeah. Cody Smith McPhee is definitely the favorite. Um, it sounds I, from what I've been hearing, like Troy Kotzer is making a charge and he might be the only one that could even challenge him at this point. I, I would love to say Jared Leto gets snubbed, but he almost got in last year for a movie nobody liked. So, um, I think Jared Leto could win. <clears throat> no, he's not winning a second. Not for this. Um, I also have Syrian Hines. Um, it, one for of licorice the Belf- pizza, it says. Oh gosh, I, I typed that in wrong. Yes, Syrian Hines for licorice pizza. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, one of the Belfast guys gets in, and I think he's more likely. Then I took a stab, and I think Jesse Plemons gets in for the power of the dog. Um, I think Cody Smith. Mc- McPhee pulls him along kind of like uh, uh, Sam Rockwell pulled along Woody Harrelson for three billboards. Um, or and, uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Or Lakeith year. Stanfield last year with um, with um, Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, I think I think something like that could easily happen here. Um, Jesse Plemons has been putting in great work for a long time and it, it deserves a, a recognition. And he hasn't been completely ignored this season, but I, I think he gets in. I think he gets in. I hope you're right. I mean, I have that list as my Tommy Lee Jones pick, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it after the BAFTA nomination, which I didn't take much stock in that because those people are ridiculous. Like they, they've almost like rescinded their their uh, precursor qualifications because of how stupid their nominations have been. But like the, I mean, their I, I think, their process is so weird now too. Like they and do a vote for I the did, top I two. <laughs> I didn't change my predictions at all after those nominations came out. I was like, I'm not <laughs> taking anything from this. Leo was freaking nominated. Like, no, <laughs> it was one of the worst performances of the year. <laughs> okay. Go, All right, go Zach, back. what do you got? Uh, I had uh, uh, Kieran, ha- Kieran Hines and Jamie Dornan for the exact same reason that Terry had with Power of the Dog. Uh, I think Belfast is, I think, the front runner at this point. And um, as mm-hmm. Todd eloquently pointed out in his review, if Jamie Gor- Dornan gets the nomination as well, that makes Belfast the official front runner. Yeah. I have Troy, uh, Troy Kotzer for Coda, who actually at this point would probably be my pick to win. I, th- I think there's a real strong chance he upsets Cody Smith-McPhee. He, he, I think he what, what Todd said about uh, Leto, I would say about Kotzer. And then Jared Leto and Cody Smith-McPhee, of course, as well. Yeah, I, I think this that you're right. This category is going to kind of go a long ways to determining who's the front runner going into the Oscars. If if something like what I have predicted of Cody Smith McPhee and Jesse Plemons get in, Power of the Dogs a front runner. If both Jamie Dornan and Syrian Hines get in, Belfast is the front runner. Um, if somehow both Belfast guys get snubbed, which is possible, then Power of the Dogs a front runner. Uh, Adam's got J.K. Simmons getting in for being the Ricardos. Not impossible. I mean, there's a f- another former winner lo- still looking for a second nomination. So, um, and then you got Bradley Cooper that could sneak in there too, just simply because he's Bradley Cooper. Um, don't, don't forget about Batman himself, Ben Affleck. Yeah, that, that would be another crazy one. Um, especially since they refuse to nominate him whenever they have the opportunity, but he's gotten, didn't he get the SAG nomination? Yeah. So yeah, he's got SAG some, and Golden Globe, I think he's got some uh, clout behind him too. This is, 
like I said, this is interesting because you've got like a solid three that you know we're getting in in uh, Smick, McPhee, Leto, and Kotzer. And then the last two spots, there's like 10 different people that could fill them. I've never seen a supporting actor nominee get in for one scene <clears throat> with the exception of William Hurt. I feel like it has to be yeah. more of a, 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 a weighty role. But I do agree but that a lot of prognosticators that are isn't predicting. Everyone's... I, I agree. A lot of people are predicting bradley cooper but. well no it's the one thing in everyone's head when you think about that movie is like that that sequence sets the tone for the rest of the movie and that's like the lasting image i have of that movie i i think when we reviewed it i i like the comparison that bradley cooper and that is basically alfred molina in boogie nights he shows up just for like 10 minutes and steals the entire movie was that a comparison one of us made that's a I think great so. comparison i think i think i think todd said it I think. Does that sound like something you'd say? Gene yeah. Pearl yeah. shot honorary Oscar for just that take. That's, there a, we that's go. a great comparison. All right. Best actress time. Todd, what do you got? This is this is the most interesting one of all it of is. our categories, I think. Okay. Um, <coughs> I have a lot of money on this category, actually. Uh, Nicole Kidman, I have as number one. I have Olivia Coleman, number two. Jessica Chastain, number three. All of which I think there's no chance in this. The number four, I went against the grain and went with Kristen Stewart for Spencer, despite all of her snubs. Uh, similar to Anne Dowd, it's just eventually, like, you know who the best performances are, and this is the one kind of thing that shows up. And my number five is Lady Gaga, which I know that people are now saying she's, like, the frontrunner because the BAFTAs loved her, lo loved the movie so much, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think she's still lock at all, but she's probably getting in, but, I mean, there's so many other contenders. This is, like, the, the hardest one. Yeah, this category is so wide open. I I have Gaga getting snubbed. I also have Stewart getting snubbed. Um, I think it's hard. It's gonna be hard for Kristen Stewart to get in, even though it's one of the best performances. It's gonna be hard for her to get in. And there's just too many other choices. So yeah, the top three I agree. I think are are locks. Even though I wrote it in backwards. How did I do that? Yeah. I I gotta I gotta spell check myself here. Anyways. Uh, my last two spots, I went with Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers and Rachel Zegler for West Side Story. I heard a stat that um, that uh, a best comedy musical Golden Globe winner uh, has not or that will that is in a movie that gets a best picture nomination at the Oscars has not missed best actress since like 85. So, Rachel Zegler won comedy musical actress at the Golden Globes. West Side Story is getting the picture nomination. That combo hasn't led to a, a snub here in over in, in over 35 years. So, I mean, it's a compelling stat, but I mean, I feel like those kind of things happen at the Oscars a lot and they go down. They're going down a lot in the, in the last like five years. Yeah, but it feels like it feels like one of those that sneaks in. Um, I, I was debating on that fifth slot between Rachel Zegler and Jennifer Hudson for respect. Uh, I think I think one of those two could easily slide in that fifth spot, or or maybe it's Gaga, and I've got that wrong. Uh, I really like the Penelope Cruz being in there too. Um, she's been she's established, and I could see her getting another nomination here. Yeah, a lot of our movies are they're in their own category, pretty much. Yep. All right, Zach, what do you got? Yeah, I also predicted Penelope Cruz. 
Um, and uh, I went with Nicole Kidman and Olivia Coleman, who I think are two locks. I did not go with Jessica Chastain. Kyle Buchanan mm. in the New York Times also did not go with uh, Jessica Chastain. Uh, I will always remember sitting in that theater um, where there were literally two people, me and my wife, watching uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And I thought, it's a great performance, but there's no way the Academy, our Academy voters are going to remember it. Um, and then the other two I had were uh, Kristen Stewart and uh, Alana Haim. Did I say Alana Haim? No, you hadn't yet. Okay. And I, my, my reasoning behind Alana Haim is because uh, I think Licorice Pizza is either the th in third or fourth place at this point. And I think uh, at, for a Best Picture contender. And uh, I think, spoiler alert, I think Anderson gets a nomination. I think they're going to try to give it nominations wherever they can. Um, so I guess in that Bradley sense, Cooper. Bradley Cooper's not a bad pick. But um, I don't think there's a lot of other not, you know categories. It, it, it's not going to get, a, I don't think, a lot of below the line stuff. So um I don't know. I I agree also with Todd's take about Kristen Stewart. I mean, that's that's an acclaimed movie. She's been nominated, or has she? She hasn't been nominated before, has she? No, I'm sorry, no. I can't remember. But this feels like sort of her coming out, just as we sort of predicted initially. And I think the Oscars. Um, I don't know. I, I think they see themselves as as more elevated than the previous awards that have snubbed her. Yeah, and, and Alana Haim is also is another great one that could that could sneak in there. There there are so many that could that could slide into this into this uh, lineup. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, Adam Jones pick was Marion Cotillard for Annette because she has done that's this before crazy. for two days, one night. That that's would be true. so crazy if that happened. That would be the craziest Oscar nomination probably of all time. Had she gotten anything before she got the nomination for two days, one night? Like, did she have any precursors? No, oh, no, she, she was, she had not been mentioned a single time all award season. Pretty sure. So, so the, it would be very similar to that. So she's done it before. So that's your argument for it. Well, I mean, but I mean, she's been not, she was not at the Golden Globes, right? Oh, I guess she was. She got a she got a nomination because it was a musical, and they needed to fill out that category. It's so at. I'll go. I I was just gonna say Adam has. Uh, let's see here. I think he's got the same. Well, he's got the the four: Kidman, Coleman, Gaga, Chastain, and then Penelope Cruz. None of us have uh, Jennifer Hudson. No, I I wanted to I I really wanted to get her in there because this feels like her opportunity for a justification nomination for her win. It's the first chance she's had to get one of those, and they like to do that. Well, she had a few that just never hit. I mean, this is the first time she's actually been in a movie that has a chance. I guess is what yeah, you mean. yeah. That's that's what I mean. It's the first time she's had a chance to get that get that run. And uh, and get recognized to show that her her win wasn't a fluke, but there there's just too many other contenders. Um, yeah. All right, actor Todd, what do you got? This is the one where the winner is not. I I think is a little less is a little more murky. I think the actress, the winner. I have no idea what's going to happen either. But I got. But um, Olivia Coleman's going to win again. That's what's going to happen. After after the BAFTA snub again, two years in a row that she got. Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Andrew Garfield, number one. Number two, Will Smith. Number three, Benedict Cumberbatch. Number four, Denzel Washington, all of which there's no chance that they can miss. And number five, I decided to go again with the one that has been missing, and that's Peter Dinklage for Cyrano. Because 
I, 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 in my article, I mentioned that it'd be like Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory, where it's like he, we thought he was going to get in the Golden Globes, he didn't. We thought he was going to get in at BAFTA, he didn't. And then he ends up just like sneaking in and getting the best actor nomination at the last minute. Yeah, I think it hurts that movie, the fact that it hasn't even been released yet. It didn't like, hurt it the got, father. Well, but the father had been seen by the time nominations were released, though. That's well, because the nominations were in, like, April. Right, exactly. So, uh, I, I want to I say Dinklage, no, nothing would give me, would make me happier than seeing Dinklage show up. I just don't see it happening. Well, no, if Cage um, showed up, I think we'd all be thrilled. Well, that would be awesome as well. Um, so, I've got Will Smith number one still. Um, Cumberbatch, then Garfield. I think those three are locks. Washington, uh, it feels like a lock, but I don't, I... For some reason, I, I could see it not happening also, but then again, he's Denzel, so he's probably getting in. And my fifth, I've got Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos. Because I, I just see... I see that... I see that happening, and I see this that movie having a bigger run, and if Kidman wins, it, she she could easily pull pull him along. Yeah, I think I, I had the same five as you, Terry. Uh, yeah. My Tom Lee Jones pick is the, the, the definition of the Tom Lee Jones and the Valley of Elo situation is Bradley Cooper from Nightmare Alley. Because what Tom Lee Jones did in 2007 was get nominated a couple of times for No Country for Old Men, the best picture contender, and, including SAG. And then at the Oscars, he didn't get in for that. He got in for this movie that nobody had seen. And that is exactly what Bradley Cooper would do if he missed for uh, Licorice Pizza and got in for Nightmare Alley for best actor. And I honestly, I, I, I think it's possible. Nightmare Alley, now on Hulu, by the way. I, I just saw that today. Yeah, that I that that would make sense. And especially because it's Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Uh, I think Adam the, has, has his fifth Cooper Hoffman for Licorice Pizza, which I don't see happening at all. I think the fifth slot is between Javier Bardem and Leo. And I think they, they, they go with the movie that has the slightly better ratings, better reviews, the slightly more highbrow pick. The highbrow pick would be Cyrano. There's, there's no way in hell that Leo is getting nominated for an Oscar for that. Except that he's Leo. Leo. He's he's missed before Terry. I know he wasn't nominated for Django. That's he wasn't true. Nominated for that Jay true. Edgar. True. All right, best director, Todd. What do you got? Ben Campion, Denis Villeneuve, and. Steven Spielberg, all are absolute locks. Then Kenneth Branagh and Retsuke Hamaguchi are my last two, but I mean, there really are like five or six other people I can put in there. But yeah, Hamaguchi, yeah, I'd say I feel like it's close to a lock. I don't know how, why I'm number five. I think the first, I think you're the first four you mentioned are locks. I think Campion, Villeneuve, Spielberg, and Branagh are locks. And uh, the fifth slot is the only one that's up in the air. I went with Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza in the fifth slot. He always seems to get in now. Um, it, it, it's kind of similar to Phantom Thread in that way. Uh, I see him getting well, in. That, that was out of nowhere because he hadn't gotten anything. Yeah. They're going up to them. All right. Zach, I think you've got the same. I, no, you've got a slightly different. What do you got? No, I, I've, uh, I don't have Spielberg. I have Joel Cohen Ooh. instead. Because I, I don't think I don't have Tragedy of Macbeth getting a Best Picture nomination. So I feel like that's the obligatory uh, best director without a best picture nomination. 
Um, Hamaguchi would certainly be consistent with what's happened in the last three years, but as Todd has even said, I don't. I think it's it's foolish to just always think that history is going to repeat itself. So, uh, Ham, I I don't think Drive My Car has had the same sort of momentum that some people anticipated, and which is unfortunate because it's a great movie. But uh, I think I think Cohen is obviously a recognizable name for a movie that probably won't get a Best Picture nomination. I don't feel great about that pick though. They love the Coens. They were nominated for that, what, that anthology Western comedy thing they did. I can't remember the name. Ballad of Bus Buster Scruggs. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Looks like Adam has the same five I do. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, that, that fifth slot will be interesting. And yeah, Brana could get snubbed. I could see Spielberg get snubbed. Those would be a little more shocking, though, I think. Spielberg, I think, is more set than he has been in his past, like, 10 years of getting Best Picture nominated every year. This one, I, he, there's no way he's not getting director. Yeah. But okay. I, I, I hope he gets in there, because I think it's really good. Okay. Best Picture. It is back to a lineup of 10. No more of this, you know, maybe 8, maybe 9. Um, even though it could be anywhere from 5 to 10, it was always either 8 or 9. Um Todd, what are your 10? Okay. My have six locks, it looks like. The Power of the Dog, Belfast, West Side Story, Dune, Licorice Pizza, and Coda. And then the rest of them, the ridiculous Don't Look Up is getting in probably. King Richard appears really strong at this point. Drive My Car. And I went with Tick, Tick, Boom because it got the uh, Producers Guild nomination and I think it just is like a leg up on a, a little bit on being the Ricardos because I think I think Tick Tick Boom is beloved and being the Ricardos is, uh, and the, it has it's more like admired than it is actually loved and the the passion gets you the first place votes to get nominated for best picture. Yeah, I've got I've got nine of the same ten and the difference is I've got being the Ricardos over Tick Tick Boom, um, especially if Kidman's winning if I've got Bardem getting nominated, being the Ricardos is getting in. I find it fascinating that all three of us predicted drive my car to get in. Um, and we're all kind of thinking it's, it's getting in there. I, I think it's, it sneaks in and is a surprise nomination if it gets in, but I've got it in there, but I could easily see the last two spots going being the Ricardo's and tick, tick, boom and drive my car, not getting in. So um, I, it could go that way as well. Zach, what do you got? Yeah, I had the exact same 10 as Todd. <coughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, if, if I were to ch change one out, it might be, I could see like the lot, the lost daughter sneaking in there. Um, maybe in place of drive my car. Um, I wouldn't I necessarily know. have a problem with that. I mean, I had said that back when we reviewed it, I thought it felt like a best picture nominee, but I, it has not gotten the steam it needs. Yeah, I mean, I think Gyllenhaal was a really trendy pick for a while as well. Well, that that was so big on the on the critic circles as they were going around. Lost Daughter was getting a lot of uh, well, momentum there. She got a director nomination from the Golden Globes, but that that's similar mm -hmm. to Regina King last year, I guess, getting nominated for Golden Globes. Why do Adam McKay movies get Best Picture nominations? Can we just stop that from being a thing at the Oscars? Wouldn't that be a wonderful? I, I pretty much like I. That would probably be the greatest single thing to happen Tuesday morning if that stupid movie doesn't get a Best Picture nomination. Can you think of any more joyous nomination? I mean, I know you guys love Nick Cage, but but that would be up there. Those those two would be the top uh, 
Well, for me, Jesse Plemons w- would be to me like it when, like when Lakeith Stanfield got nominated last year. Like I, I was like, I, I mean, I lost my breath when they said his name. And like, I mean, N- Nick Cage, Jesse Plemons would be there. But yeah, if if Don't Look Up gets shut out or something, yeah, like I'm going streaking. Now, if for me, for me, that that would be Peter Dinklage. I think if Peter Dinklage gets in, I haven't even seen the movie yet, but he's so awesome in everything he does. And, and to see him get an Oscar there. nomination. Everybody loves him. <coughs> That'd be amazing. All right. So Adam has the same top nine, but instead of Tick Tick Boomer being the Ricardos, he has Nightmare Alley, which there's no no chance that's happening, right? Nice job, Adam. <laughs> I mean, well, Hoffman. I mean, could you could you see I could see it. I mean, it's Guillermo del Toro's follow-up to the shape of water. I know, but, but nobody it, saw it. This movie's aren't getting in unless they get director nominations. Like that is not a picture nominee without a director nominee. Mm. That's a valid point. By the way, what, I made, seen it yet. what would make me happiest Tuesday morning is if uh, a hero and worst person in the world and drive my car, get a lot of nominations. I, like, I don't think it's really likely that those other two sneak into the best picture conversation, but how freaking cool would it be if they did? Is the most competitive category this year international film drive my car worst person Pretty in the world stacked. a hero back too flee oh I mean, yeah there's you... a ton of documentaries <clears throat> yeah so and and todd you you laid out predictions for every category and you had a uh, power of the dog leading nominations right no i have dune oh dune, dune 11, oh, that's because dune's getting every 10. tech right Dune is this year's like Mad Max. Pretty much. But I've been forgetting six wins, which I feel like if it's getting six wins, it's probably winning Best Picture. Like, <coughs> what was the last movie that did that? Like Cabaret and not win Best Picture? I mean, come... didn't Mad Max had six wins, didn't it? I think I have five. But we're, we're, we're going to check this out. Rewind that. Oh, that's our well, next that's, segment. That's next, yes, that's next segment. <laughs> Yeah, Mad Max won six Oscars. Okay, so I mean, I guess that that would be, but I mean, and I, it, I and like it lost Bill to Nube. a movie. Bill Nube it lost to guys. a movie that won what twice? Star Wars won seven Oscars. Okay, so yeah, a little bit before, but I, I thought Mad Max had won five. So yeah, I mean, I I, you're, I guess that's right. But I mean, Bill Nube is one of those guys that they want. They've been rewarding recently with nominations and now this is his biggest contender i think he could take director from jane campion if his movie is picking up like all that's ridiculous that's ridiculous the dune dune is the mank of this year it's going to probably lead in nominations and it may win a couple of technical awards but i don't see i don't reviewed it you said it had no chance to get best picture nomination i said it was that's true i'm surprised by how it's lasting power but i just don't think it's not going to be i i don't see it being in the same breath as mad max it's going to get nominations of the ring is what it is and which, yes, I mean, which probably, probably was second place for Best Picture back then. Which means it's not winning. It's gonna they're gonna wait and give the Oscar to Dune Part Two. Could be, but I mean, at the same time, I don't <laughs> think that Power of the Dog really is a beautiful mind because it doesn't have, like, I mean, I, I don't know that that's not a movie that that is like as revered. Power of the Dog is one of those movies that's like there will be blood or something like that. It's not and then what, Belfast is what like Gosford Park or something. I suppose that's not that's not bad. I mean, or yeah, 
And what was the fifth one that year? It was uh, in the bedroom. In the bedroom. In the bedroom. The third greatest movie ever made. Do you guys want to hear my Dune take? I don't. Yes. Think, I don't think anyone loves Dune. I, I don't think there's any people out there who fully love and embrace Dune. I think the reason why some people say they like Dune as much as they do is because they like to say, I like Dune, and I'm part of the reason why it got greenlit for a sequel. Because fandom, hashtag. That's not I how don't hashtags see, work. I, I don't... <laughs> Well, listen, I just I, I don't see it as a movie that uh, anybody truly loves. Nobody that uh, I know, but I mean, it, it is like the online favorite. Yeah, a lot of people online like it, but I, I see what you're but saying. They, they say it. they like it because it's a cool thing to say you like Dune. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think they've seen it. Well, I think they've seen it. I, I think a lot of people no, saw it, especially with it being HBO it. Max. Um, I think they said they've seen it and maybe they tried <laughs> watching it, but fell asleep. Like By the I'm, way, for, former ESPN anchor Kenny Maine always uh, hashtags after his hashtag, so it never works. But oh, it, he, yeah, that sounds right. Yep. My other favorite one is James Khan always ends every one of his tweets with "end of tweet." Like he'll just say something and end end of tweet. No, if if we're going to compare this to a previous Oscars, I think it's last year's Oscars. I think Nomadland is clearly Power of the Dog. I think Benedict Cumberbatch might be in the Francis McDormand slot. I think Mank is Dune. I think, um, you know, here or there, there's there's comparisons, but I feel Power of the Dog and Nomadland, I think, are stylistically similar movies in some ways. I don't know. That, that That's the comparison. I, I think I told Todd 2000 is also a little bit like this year. Well, 2001 makes sense. Drive My Car would be Mahan Drive, I guess. Well, anyways... That is uh, where we're standing with our be- uh, our Oscar predictions right now. Again, they're on the website. You can check them out. Do you uh, have a see. semi-long shot or long shot that you really like? Because I really like Penelope Cruz. I feel like if this was in Vegas, plus 270 on Penelope Cruz, I'm, I'm laying the money. To win? That. No, no, to, to get win? nominated. To get, get nominated? nominated? Yeah, well, without being shortlisted at BAFTA, like, that is a pretty long shot at this point. But the fact that you both win with it, I mean, I could see it. My, my, two, my two big long shots are Jesse Plemons and Rachel Zegler. Those well, are the two. Doubt I is obviously the biggest stab I had. I think. Yeah, but... that that's a big stab. Yeah, that would be crazy. And then watch Cooper Hoffman get the nomination, and we all look like. <laughs> idiots. See, I'm looking at the rest uh... of my thing. I think for documentary, I had in the same breath getting in because I watched that. It just seemed like Academy catnip, and so I was like, I thought that was the one that I put in that has that was like a hundred to one on on Gold Derby. So there's some of those. All right. We'll watch Tuesday morning for that. Hopefully this episode will be out before then. But uh, <laughs> uh, you'll uh, see the nominees then. And again, check back at the website. We'll see how we did. And I'll, uh, I'll mark how we did. Todd always, his uh, reaction to the nominations is one of the most in-depth uh, articles he writes all year too. So uh, that'll be coming out in the days after it. And also be looking for sometime in the next week or two, uh, our ballot for... Uh, our Oscar challenge to pick uh, pick the winners this year. So fourteenth uh, annual. What? Fourteenth annual. Fourteenth annual. Good grief. We need That's lives. Insane. We do. <laughs> All right. Let's get into our next segment. It is time for power rankings. You can't top that. 
Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. I won power rankings last time. Yet somehow this category turned into like the three of us kind of all consented and agreed upon what we were gonna do. And it was a bad idea. It was a bad idea. Let's just let's just face it. It was a bad <laughs> idea. But this this is gonna be a lot of fun. I have no idea what Adam's gonna do, but we'll we'll see. Uh, our category that we decided on was I, I think what I said was most obnoxious movie trailers or most annoying, most oversaturated. I'm just yeah, movie trailers that just kind of you remember as being bad or overdone or obnoxious in some way. I think obnoxious is a good word because that can go a lot of different ways. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say bad. Like, because you were talking about Jackass, and obviously Jackass is a masterpiece of a trailer, but we saw it a hundred times, you know? Well, because it kept on getting pushed back, too. Yeah. So it kept on popping back up. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we're doing here. Uh, We're going to see how this goes. Uh, Yeah, I have no idea what Adam's doing, but we'll get to that later. Uh, Let's see here. Zach, you're going first. Number five. All right, so I like Todd's comment because I I did take obnoxious in a lot of different directions. And some of these trailers are not necessarily bad trailers, but they're obnoxious for one reason or another. And number five is a perfect example of that. This is from 2009. We just are, is it 10? I can't remember. Uh, But it is the Coen Brothers film, A Serious Man. I don't know oh. if you guys remember the trailer, oh. or, but uh, the editor of that trailer was having having some fun, t- took some risks. And, you know, normally I like risks, uh, you know, be cool, be different. Try to set your movie apart a little bit. But uh, if you haven't seen this trailer, watch it online and try to imagine actually listening to this trailer in a movie theater multiple times. It is uh, Michael. What's his name? Uh uh Stuhlberg getting thrusted and his head hitting a chalkboard multiple times over and over and over again (laughs) literally for two minutes non-stop as almost like a percussive bass and uh it's if you think watching um you know steve-o's balls get ripped off by bees bee stings is tough try imagining uh, michael Stuhlberg getting hit in the head uh, for two minutes again, nonstop. So it's a really annoying trailer. Uh, and, uh, it's a good movie, um, and I like creativity. I like being different. But that one, as I sort of like a notorious one, I think for being uh, something that uh, you know no one really wanted to ever watch again. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good call. I had completely forgotten about that trailer. That's I mean that's the kind of thing that makes like the trailer into an art thing though. That like to me I put that in the category as like Don John or something where it's like the the trailer is its own short film. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and again I I think like I I have maybe have a hard time putting it on the list because you know at least a serious man you remember that trailer. I remember that trailer 13 years later for better or for worse. It's obnoxious. Yep. But it made an impact on you watching it in a theater. So like, and 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 it was against the grain. It, it was doing something unconventional with the sound editing. So I, I like that, but it just was a, a, a real pain to listen to. All right, maybe misunderstood is a better word for it. I, I, I like that pick. That's a great pick. All right, I'm next, number five on my list. So as I was going through this, I watched a lot of movie trailers today, trying to remember and like okay oh i remember this one there was something funny about that let let me go back and let no that one wasn't that bad but i watched a lot of them 
And when I went to it and I could remember the entire thing, I'm like, okay, yeah, this, this might be, might fit in there. So my number five is actually a good movie, but I remember thinking that this trailer was obnoxious because of how many times I saw it uh, and how many, and how I thought it didn't necessarily look like a good movie. And that's Juno. Um, there, uh, it was a overplayed trailer for sure. And I didn't see the trailer until it was already starting to get buzz. Like it hit like Sundance or one of those film festivals. And it got this huge reputation as being this like juggernaut Oscar front runner. And then I saw the trailer. I'm like this, this is getting all this buzz. What? And, and then I saw it over and over and over again. And I will say there's kind of a theme here with a lot of my trailers in that a lot of them are either from like the last couple years because I've seen a lot of movies in theaters last couple years, or they were from like college time because Zach and I went to the movies a lot together during that time to watch movies. And Juno was in that time frame. So um, that that's my pick for number five, Juno. I completely disagree with you, Terry. I like that trailer quite a bit. I think it does a good job of setting up the story without revealing too much of the story and keeping the most poignant and funny moments out of the trailer um, and uh, prominently features Rain Wilson more so in that trailer than in the movie. I remember that was one of the things with it is, is he's like a main part of the trailer and his you know, role in the scene. trailer he's is the, the length Cooper of his movie. role in the movie. <laughs> the, Cooper in, in, uh, the first 10 Nicholas minutes Cooper. of Juno are basically the trailer. Yeah, it's true. But uh well, and it, it's mainly the the whole idea. Like now, I can look back on it and be like, "It's a good trailer." But it's the, it's the thought I had when I watched it of this doesn't look like the movie it's being billed as as being this Oscar juggernaut that's going to be coming out. The the best case you have for putting that trailer on your list is they played the hell out of that trailer. Yeah, they did. That that w- trailer was on every movie back in the, the good old days of two thousand seven. Yeah. Otherwise, it was a good trailer. So I I disagree with that pick. I'm glad you brought it up, though. I actually just recently watched that trailer within the last few weeks. I don't know why. Nice. Like it was just on my YouTube algorithm. <laughs> All right, Todd, number five. Well, really similar to Terry. Mine is also a Best Picture nominee. but I And also, I, I realized when I put this list together that all of them were between 2008 and 2011 because that is when I was at the theater <laughs> the most. Like, I probably went to two movies a week for the ever the entire year, uh, every year. So my number five was the best picture nominee in 2008, and that is Milk. And um, like I thought about I that saw one too. that trailer so many times. There's, I mean, I'm Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. And then there's like you know, uh, Josh Brolin being like, "Can two gay men reproduce?" And he's like, "No, but we keep trying." You know, like there's only so many times you can hear that and have it still be entertaining. But that that trailer was freaking everywhere, and it's it got really annoying. Even though it, it probably is a good trailer. But it's also misrepresentative of the movie because after watching that, I thought for sure Mill Hirsch was getting nominated for Best Supporting Actor. But he's hardly in the movie, but he is in, like, every other part of that trailer. So, I don't know. It, it, it's, it is, I, I, thought, I think that trailer is way in your face and obnoxious, but, I mean, it probably is good, and the movie is obviously great. I, I remember that, that trailer being everywhere then, too. And I, th- I thought about that one. And... And yeah, that I'm Harvey Milk and I'm here to recruit you before you even see a picture. Like it's a black screen and you hear that and then it pops. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. This is just this whole power ranking is going to be just a reminder how old we are. It is. 
the good old days. If there is, we're going to bring up movies. We're going to bring up movies we never would bring up. (laughs) Zero overlap. If I I put like minus three hundred on under a half of an overlap, Uh, there's going to be one overlap. There's going to be one overlap. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Zach, number four. All right, number four. uh, Yeah, uh, believe it or not, is from the two thousands, and it's a movie we all like. In fact, so much so that it is in uh, one of our top 10s of all time and one of our top 20s of all time. It's a great trailer. I don't really have any issue with the trailer. I have a specific issue with it. It is the trailer to Kill Bill Volume 2. And again, got me excited, did the job. The problem I have with it is that the trailer reveals that the bride's daughter is still alive. Are you kidding me? That is a huge twist in the story. Uh, that is a shocking moment, and the trailer prominently features BB saying, "Hi, mommy," and wow, talk about ruining well, a have huge you seen the previous hanger. one. It's the last line of the first. I was going to say it's the last line of Volume One. Oh, but 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 the, they actually show the the daughter though. I guess you got a point there. I don't know. I just I would have preferred <laughs> I would have preferred it to just not be there. You have enough great stuff in that movie. <laughs> Uh, now my pick's kind of ruined. You guys ruined it. Dang it. I still don't like that they showed her, though. Can we so just wait, okay, that? so these movies came hashtag, out October, October 2003, <laughs> April 2004. So were we seeing... I, I was. I did not see these movies in the theater. Did we see the Kill Bill Volume 2 trailer during Kill Bill Volume 1? Because they only came out six months apart. I believe I did. I so want then, to say yeah, I then did. that would ruin the first movie if you're That's watching probably, it. It's, okay, there we go. I, I win because... I saw it when I was watching Kill Bill Volume 1. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I don't know. But I think I did. I'm going to go with the fact that I did. And it spoiled both movies. How do you do that? Oh, just out yeah. of curiosity, Kill Bill actually has some really good trailers. It has multiple trailers. I've always loved the teaser trailer when it was still one movie. Do, do you guys ever see that? There's no talking in it. It plays the battle without honor or humility uh, theme. And uh, it says, uh, Uma Thur- in the year 2003, <laughs> Uma Thurman will kill Bill, which is a lie. So another reason, because she killed him in 2004. Um, and uh, yeah, so deceptive uh, trailers that spoil too much. Uh, as, as great as they are, Kill Bill is, a, is a, you know, a, an offender in that category. They're great trailers, though. I don't know. They shouldn't be on my list. Not bad. Agreed. Not bad. All right. Number... Number four on my list. I'm shuffling my list around now because I just thought of another one that needs to be up there, but I'm going to figure it out. But number four is not going to change. Number four is actually a movie I haven't seen, but I've seen this trailer enough and I know everything I need to know about the movie from the trailer. This is from 2009, but it played at every movie for six months in 2008. It is the movie Bride Wars starring Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway. I don't remember that trailer. Oh, this trailer played everywhere. Uh, this movie about the, this, these best friends who both planned out their dream wedding at the Plaza Hotel, and then they were fighting over the same date because it was the only one available. And uh, they end up pranking each other and all this stuff, and this is all, all you learn from the trailer. They tell you the entire story, even who won the battle, and then how the other one went running down the aisle in her wedding dress to tackle her at the, at the altar. Um, yeah, it was one of those where you're like, this movie's horrible and I have to watch this trailer. How many times every time I go to the movie for six months, I have to watch this trailer. Um, 
yeah bride wars number four todd do you remember this trailer oh yeah <laughs> I got, like i said this is right in that wheelhouse of when i saw every movie so yeah <clears throat> yeah yeah all right todd number four uh my number four also comes from 2008 i think i have four 2008 movies uh uh but this one is the most overplayed weepy trailer i've ever seen and that is seven pounds uh oh, everything oh. in that trailer is so serious and so earnest it's like a collection of these actors like barry pepper and all these people just like basically yelling at will smith in tears and like him taking it and like making everybody know that he's gonna like change the world like i never wanted to see this movie and i think it actually broke will smith's like 100 million dollar box office record like right. streak and it was probably because this stupid trailer was awful and uh, I, I think the movie is kind of bad too because i ended up seeing it eventually but I, I i saw this trailer for a solid four months and uh it i didn't i didn't want to see the movie i really liked the movie i know i was kind of in the minority in that but i really liked it but yes i know what you i know what you talk about with the trailer i have no recollection of that trailer but i believe you that it played on repeat seems logical now I want to get this is the problem is now I want to go back and watch these. We're we're not doing any favors by promoting these bad trailers. I'm definitely gonna go back and watch these all these trailers now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Zach, number three. Okay, so uh I'm gonna go with the trailer that got some notoriety because it was part of the Sony leak scandal of 2013, if you guys remember that. Oh. And uh it is the infamous trailer to Aloha. The, uh, I guess, two-time Academy Award nominee this year, Bradley Cooper vehicle with Emma Stone playing an Asian character. <coughs> Boy, this trailer's bad. It is so bad. It probably should be number one on my list. Um, but see, it's so it, it's in the category of so bad that it's good. <laughs> like the on-the-nose dialogue in it is fantastic. It's like literally Emma Stone has the line, you're a rebel, but you're here to reclaim your status. And uh, and then and then Jennifer Garner says, you were the love of my life. Why did you ever leave? Uh, it, it's it's unbelievably horrible uh, trailer. And Cameron Crowe has some other pretty bad trailers, too. Elizabeth Town is, is not a classic by any means. Um, but this trailer is is a marvel of just horrible marketing. That's a, again, it was involved with the Amy Pascal stuff that got leaked that everybody at Sony know, knew this movie was crap. And so they released a trailer that was crap. And uh, again, this is a, a trailer that should that I think was often parodied and, 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 and lampooned quite a bit when it came out and deservedly. So I've never actually seen Aloha. I have no interest in it. But uh, by the looks of that trailer, you're not missing much. This is a trailer where they should have been deceptive. Maybe make the movie seem like it's something else. Honestly, I don't remember this trailer. I don't necessarily remember the trailer either. <laughs> When well, you said the Sony scandal, I thought you were going to say the interview. No, I don't remember the tra the trailer for the interview, but just, just I remember watch... the trailer for the interview. I don't remember the trailer for just Aloha. just watch the Aloha trailer. The Aloha trailer does something that I hate in trailers. When again, they just take like lines of dialogue and that are just from random scenes, throw them in in there to like summarize a character's like arc or identity in like one sentence, and it just shows how stupid the movie really is. So, uh, it's 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 pretty bad. There's a line in there about. Alec Baldwin saying, I'm going to make you wear this like Flava Flav wears his clock. And it's like, really? I mean, that's just, it, it's awful dialogue. And uh, yeah. it, it's painful to watch. Okay. 
I think Terry's pulling an audible. I'm 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 shuffling. There's there's like three movies I want to I want to have on here, and only two slots left to put them into. And so I'm trying to figure this out. I think I've got it now, though. You have three more movies. I know, but I I've got one that's locked. My number one is locked. So. I think we know what your number one is. Uh, yes, yes. It might be the same as my number one, it, and maybe we should be. have made an addendum that that, that movie that, wasn't that allowed. That movie wasn't okay. allowed. Well, no, but we have to I talk. I didn't include it. Oh, you didn't include it? Well, no. I mean, obviously, we were talking about the same two <laughs> movies. The reason why we did this list. Yeah. Well, I didn't include Jackass. I left that off, but that's right. because oh. that's a great trailer. There's nothing yeah. obnoxious about that. All right, I'm going with this. All right, my number three is from 2012 it's a movie i love it's a movie that is on my top 100 of all time that you guys may have given me crap for having there um but oh please don't say deadpool no the avengers is my number three and here's why do you guys remember the first time or the first time you saw the trailer for the avengers no it's the post credit scene to captain america they, they put a full-on trailer that felt like it was a television commercial of a trailer. Like, you know how there's, like, real trailers and then there's, like, TV cuts of a trailer for the 30-second from... It felt like a TV commercial Didn't they do trailer. they Captain Marvel, too? Wasn't that, like, they showed, like, the... No. Something. Like, this is the only like, time they've done this. Like, it was no, a full-on... like, a whole commercial. Like, was like, Hawkeye or like, something. Coming next year. They all team up. The no, it was Avengers. the WandaVision. The WandaVision trailer was at the end of one of the movies. I know it was. I don't think so. Or me? Or no? You know what? You know? You know what you're thinking? It's uh, they did it with uh, Doctor Strange after the Spider-Man movie. Okay, that could be. I, I think that's what you're thinking of. But yeah, so then the, this so was then the I'm first. Right. Yeah, this was the first time they did it, and <laughs> it was like super that was like to get you hyped up for it but it was just super annoying it's like this isn't even a real trailer you're just showing these random little clips um and it was more just a montage of like just ridiculous over promotion and i hated it so that's my number three i appreciate the pick i don't remember that though <laughs> me neither now i remember the uh 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 infinity war trailer no wait was it in what was the one with what what was the one of the Avengers movies had the song from Pinocchio? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It was like Oh, Ultron. I got no strings. Yeah, Ultron. It played like a, a melancholy <laughs> version of I've Got No Strings from Pinocchio. Yeah, we had that to hear James Spader one. sing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that that's a good call too. Okay, Todd number three. Step brothers. Um <laughs> this this is one of the most obnoxious trailers and movies that I've ever seen. Still never I, seen the movie. I kind of hate the movie, I but I know there is a contingent of fans that think it's like the best comedy of the last like 20 years or something, but it's which is stupid. But I can quote the movie because of the trailer. It's like, one man you would sleep with, John Stamos. Did we just become best friends? Yup. I mean, and that whole scene, which is like most of the trailer, is like just when in Bormie's World when Jack meets Eric, they're just ripping that off, basically. I think it's the trailer is a disaster. I don't know how anybody wants to see it because of that. And I think it's one of the most overrated movies that I have ever seen. And I know people like I think Jennifer Lawrence said it's like her favorite, her favorite comedy of all time. Like, <coughs> like and that just makes us even worse. The trailer was awful though. And again, 2008. 
the third straight 2008 movie I have. Yeah, never got, never saw that one. I don't know. But you why. saw the trailer. I've, I've seen the trailer. I never saw, never saw the movie. Yeah, they were that phase of the late 2000s. They were very much into like the funny, pithy lines and not making trailers artistic. Well, we talked about the best trailers. You know, I think we all had Social Network listed. That changed the trailer industry forever. And I'm not saying you know Step Brothers is not the quality of obviously Social Network, but like. I think I feel like Todd highlighting that era is a little bit disingenuous because I think there were just bad studio practices during that era for trailer cutting. Could be. That's fair. That's fair. Doesn't change the fact that they're all annoying though. That's oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's a great pick. Not I don't really remember it though. See that's that's the other thing that's revealing about this list is the the trailers that stood out to us and the ones that didn't. Like I really don't remember the Avengers trailer that much, but. You know, I wouldn't have been that excited for it. The regular Avengers trailer, I don't remember at all. The one they put at the end of Captain America, though, that that's the annoying one. All right, Zach, number two. Okay, uh, number two is I'm pretty sure a movie that you guys are not going to remember the trailer for, um, and it, it it is the only trailer that I can think of where the trailer does not show the top build actor in it. I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, and there must have been stuff behind the scenes knowing these people involved. It is one of Quentin Tarantino's top 20 movies of the time that he was uh, directing, and that is Woody Allen's Anything Else. Um, I you guys have not seen this trailer, I'm assuming, but uh, the main character in this movie on IMDb is Woody Allen, and it is a Woody Allen film. And yet the trailer... I think what they were trying to do with the trailer is they were going to be like, let's not try to sell this to the Woody Allen crowd. Let's try to sell this to the American Pie crowd by talking about Jason Biggs and Christina Ricci. And oh, I remember this. We're going to make now. this, you know, like a romantic comedy about them in yeah, spite of the fact is, that right? it's a Woody, Woody Allen. Allen's not the main character in the movie, is No, he? Woody Allen's definitely the main character in the movie. I mean, he's he's the one that has uh, all the most prominent scenes. Okay, at the very least, it is two main characters. It is the Jason Biggs character and the Woody Allen character. I've kind of gone back and forth on this list, on this pick, though, because <coughs> that being said, it's not necessarily a terrible trailer. And is it the worst thing in the world to hide Woody Allen's face from the public? No. But I think it's a bit of a, uh, a trick to lure people, lure unsuspecting innocent bystanders into believing that you're going to watch a funny Jason Biggs movie when it's actually a child molester, an unfunny child molester directing a movie that uh, apparently only Quentin Tarantino likes. So uh, disingenuous like from the lot. studio, a uh, bad pick, and uh, even though the trailer is not exactly terrible. Mostly because of Christina Ricci. That, that, that was a great phase of Christina Ricci. It was right around the time of Monster and Prozac Nation, and it was a reminder of what a great actress she was at one point. I remember the, the critique of that movie is Jason Biggs is trying to be Woody Allen in it. Oh, well, yeah. Well, yeah, because Woody Allen can't write any character other than, than his persona. What I also remember about the movie, now, granted, I haven't seen the movie in a while, but I remember that the movie is a lot more serious than the trailer would suggest. Like, I feel like the first half of the movie does sort of do the romantic comedy thing, but then the movie goes in a very serious direction, very dark and, and, and almost a sad direction. So, again, it's, just, it's deceptive on multiple levels. It's an interesting right. pick. I was not going to the movies in 2003. I definitely was. And they played the hell out of that trailer, too. I remember that trailer. I do. Okay. My number two. Uh, 
2007. <clears throat> it's a movie we all know and hate. Especially Zach. This is like one of Zach's least favorite movies of all time. Ooh. The Mist. Oh. Now, right. the, the context around this is this is Frank Darabont. And this is his fourth directed movie. And looking at this, it's the last movie he directed. He hasn't directed a movie since. But before that, it was Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, and The Majestic. I'm one of the only fans of the Majestic, but everyone loves like Green the Mile and Shawshank Redemption. Um, the Mist, it it builds a bad movie. Like you watch it, and it looks like a bad movie, and it is a bad movie. But the problem is, I love Darabont's movies, and so I'm watching, and it it was like out there a lot. But I'm watching this movie like okay there's a good movie in here and I'm like looking for the good movie and I'm like, okay, this actually, Oh, this might be good. This might be good. Cause it's Darabont. So it's gotta be good. Even though this trailer kind of looks bad, it might be good. And the movie was just as bad as the trailer was. So, um, yeah, the mist number two. I don't really remember the trailer. I don't remember the trailer either. Like the, one of the first lines of the trailer is the line. There's something in the mist. And then you got Marsha Gay Harden screaming about, you know, the devil and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that would yep. be a direct-to-Netflix Stephen King adaptation in 2022. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Todd, number two. Uh, my number two is a movie I have not seen, but and, and I will not see. And that is Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star. <laughs> And I know that Terry is a big fan of this trailer. <laughs> uh, not. It's it's obnoxious in the in the most horrible sense. It's kind of offensive. It's really stupid. And I will never watch this movie. Like this Happy is the Madison Swartzen movie, right? Yes, Happy yeah. Madison movies that don't have Sandler should be banned because they all are awful. And I hate this trailer. It's got the dumb voiceover thing going on too. And I, I feel like the actors don't know that it's a joke, even though it's clear that like everything in there is like trying to be this like tongue-in-cheek spoof thing but it's like it still is just like oh it's it's awful and i mean it's trying to be legit and it's it's a, it's a, one of the worst trailers ever and probably one of the worst movies ever but i won't know because i will not watch this <coughs> very nice very nice all right want to be a star i just find nick swartz annoying um yes. so yes that's a good call because that trailer was annoying um, all right, we're going to switch things up a little bit. And since Zach and I have the same number one, and Todd, you just ignored this movie. Um, Todd, you're going to go first and, and reveal your number one, and then Zach and I are going to talk about our number one. Okay, my number one is a trailer that is so absurdly serious and ominous. Uh, and it, like in a way, like Rogue One, I think was my number one trailer of the 2010s. This is a this is like the bad version of that, and that is Terminator Salvation. Like there's only oh. so many times you can hear. It doesn't have to be throughout the entire trailer, but this one does that, and everybody's whispering to make them sound more intense. The music is just so loud, uh, and Christian Bale is doing his stupid bat voice, you know, and and then it has that like like a if we stay the course, then we're dead. We're all dead. By the 30th time watching this trailer, or however many times I watched it, because it was a lot, uh, I i mean, I didn't really want to watch the movie, and I love that shit. Like, Terminator is my thing. This 
this kind of almost ruined that for me because uh yeah it's, it's an awful trailer mcg what the hell are you doing <laughs> uh, that's a good call i remember that trailer now that you mentioned it, i remember that one that's good that's good all right now our number one and todd if todd had actually included it i'm sure he would have had the same one yeah um because i I'm, whenever we talk about obnoxious trailers there's only one answer and that's vantage point uh, and and this has been a running gag for us since the trailer came out because this movie, like this trailer ran before every movie for literally like a year, right? Like maybe like maybe it was well, delayed. I okay. I think the story behind it is that this movie was plugged at all the Oscar movies in 2007 because it was a February 2008 release. Okay. So we were probably going to movies like Juno and, uh, you know, No Country for Old Men uh, in Michael Clayton. And we saw this trailer nonstop. Sony played the hell out of it. I'm sorry to keep using that expression, but <laughs> it, it was nonstop. And it was probably the only movie that wasn't an Oscar movie. So because it had that extra two month window, it was played for everything. And it, and it's, it's a laughably bad trailer, too. Like, watching the trailer <laughs> is, is an experience, it's an experience. all, it's, on, it's all on its own. Yeah. yeah, because the and you get it, you can't leave. It's one of those trailers that it finishes and the entire <laughs> audience chuckles a little bit because there's so many moments that it's playing for dramatic effect that are just bad and la like we weren't there. Uh, I'm in pursuit of a suspect. Rewind that. I mean, it's so, it's so bad. Ugh. It shows you everything about the movie, <laughs> which is great. It, there's nothing left to, to mystery in this movie, right? We got, we got the president who wasn't there. Apparently he's been, you know, it was a Dave situation. And then we've got Forrest Whitaker as the bystander was a little uh, camcorder. We got Matthew Fox. That guy sucks. I mean, you know. Uh, you're an asshole for me. <laughs> we got Sigourney Weaver and a young Zoe Zaldana backstage at, at, at the at the board. The president has been shot. Oh, that reporter. Oh God, <laughs> talk about it. You're gonna try to sell that movie on that performance. And then and then the music is pumped up. They try to do this faux like MTV Jerry Bruckheimer thing with the music, and they try to throw it at you. And then they do the kind of motion blur thing. It's just, it's so overdone. It's so, so oversaturated. Um, and it's just laughably bad. I mean, I think it didn't help that it was playing for all these Oscar movies. It was like a reminder that, oh shit, Oscar season's going to end pretty soon and we're going to get garbage like this. But in a way, it's also kind of brilliant and quotable. So I can't really fault the, the trailer that much. Yeah, it, it's kind of become like uh like our favorite, it, our favorite trailer in some ways too. Mm -hmm. it, just because we well, it's we, Sergeant Bilko. Well, that well, that was yes. our other option. But <laughs> see, the reason I didn't go with Sergeant Bilko is I was trying to do some research on YouTube, and it's not the Sergeant Bilko trailer. It is the thirty second TV spot, which is much harder to find. So. <laughs> 
the only copy I found was actually taken from the Apollo 13. Uh, just... Everybody knows this. It's all everybody knows that it was uh... available on the Apollo 13 of VHS. It's the only preview before it. And um, I'm just so damn proud that we didn't come up with Sergeant Bilko, but we did choose Vantage Point. I, I thought about I thought about that too, but the only time I've ever seen it is anything about that movie is before and is it really, the Apollo thirteen VHS. It does. It's now doing the Pavlovian <laughs> thing. You know, it's like it's like you watch you watch that and you think Apollo thirteen. Is that such yeah. a bad association to have? In fact, I almost put uh, Cinderella Man on this list because it's not Sergeant Bilko, but it plays before the mind. Apollo thirteen DVD. Oh, oh, I thought, okay. I thought it was a beautiful mind, but you're right. You're right. Um, <laughs> But here's the thing. I own the Apollo 13 Blu-ray, and it's definitely not on that anymore. Uh, that's true. The Apollo 13 Blu-ray does a really interesting and annoying thing that I think other Universal Blu-rays do, which is it doesn't remember that's in English. So you, have, you always have to – the first menu is choose your language. I'm like, really? I've never chosen Russian. And it's bizarre languages, too. It's like Russian. It's like uh, – you know, it's uh, Thai, I think, is an option. It's uh. Jack speak Thai. Jack no tie real well. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know where we're going with this. Vantage point, the clear number one. Anything yeah. else is just wrong. As wrong as Cooper Hoffman, for best actor. <laughs> as wrong as Cooper Hoffman. Well, watch him get nominated and we'll go like, this will be- For best on, supporting like... actor. Yes. <laughs> for best supporting actor instead of Bradley Cooper. The, the, this whole podcast episode will be on that that Twitter account, Frozen, Frozen Cold Takes or whatever it is. Yeah. Anyways, Zach, honorable mentions. Uh, I had five to one. Oh, five to one first. Then honorable mentions. Yeah. Okay. My uh, number five is Serious Man. Number four, Kill Bill Volume Two. Number three, Aloha. Number two, anyone, any, anyone else, or anything else? I can't remember anything. Anything else? And uh, number one, Vantage Point. All right. Uh, So my uh, then I'll go. So my number five, Juno. Number four, Bride Wars. Number three, The Avengers. Number two, The Mist. And number one, Vantage Point. Number five, Milk. Number four, Seven Pounds. Number three, Step Brothers. Number two, Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star. And number one, Terminator Salvation. That's the name of that movie. (laughs) Yeah. It says it's as in your face as the trailer. (laughs) All right. Zach, honorable mentions. Uh, Well, I had Sergeant Bilko, I guess. Uh, A Zero Dark Thirty I had, even though it's a good trailer, but they didn't, there's not a single line that um jessica chastain says in the trailer it's all other characters it's like she's your main character you're not going to have her say anything that's it's it seemed a little odd otherwise it's a good trailer um how do you know the james l brooks movie oh uh, i had that too that is a truly awful yeah. trailer oh, but, but i had man. i had aloha as my number three and i think aloha is a little bit more vulgar and despicable but how do you know is right up there i mean it i had thought of that awkward comic timing i broke Owen Wilson broke a lamp because that's funny. Um, yeah. And it's just a reminder that actually Paul Rudd did make that movie <laughs> at, at some point, which is sad. And it was, I think, one of Jack's uh, last movies, too. Um, last movie. Yeah. Uh, I had Requiem for a Dream. I've never actually I never saw the Requiem for a Dream trailer, but on YouTube, it's four minutes and, tw- and 20 seconds. Um, oh, and it's the whole movie just in, in four minutes and 20 seconds. Although I guess it's appropriate. It's four minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, Wally, the trailer for Wally, because, um, maybe, you know, this Terry, when, when Gertzen saw the trailer for Wally, he decided he was never going to watch it. I don't know. Were you there for that? <laughs> he got, that. he got really tired of that trailer quickly. He decided not to watch it. Uh, big fish, the Tim Burton movie. Talk about a just lame cliche, predictable trailer that 
totally uses the theme from Edward Scissorhands, um, like many trailers did, but maybe a worse offender than others. Um, and and then at the last one I got to go with is, is Matchstick Men. Uh, you know, the Matchstick Men trailer is interesting. I remember watching the trailer for it back in <clears throat> 03 and thinking this movie looks like crap. Uh, and it's strange because it takes some good moments from that movie. It just looked so pre-programmed and so much like a, uh, you know, just a typical rom-com. Oh, also <coughs> in, uh, in Good Company, the Topher Grace movie. Again, I think we could just narrow this whole power rankings to bad rom-com trailers. Those are the ones that stand out to me the most. All right. Honorable mentions for me. The one I wanted to get on the list was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Because if you want to see a trailer that misrepresents a movie, um, watch okay. the trailer for Eternal Sunshine. Are you talking about the one where it starts as the commercial for Lacuna? Yes. That, I yes. think, is a great trailer. I really it, like what they did there. Really it, it, innovative that part is clever, but it makes it it makes it feel and like it this like slapstick song. comedy. It uses Mr. And, Blue Sky beautifully. Yeah, but it completely misrepresents the movie, though. But it's a great trailer. See, that end, it's like justified. So <laughs> who, who cares? And I don't think yeah. it totally misrepresents the movie. Which is why it's the one that ended up <laughs> off, off my list. Anyways, uh, a few recent trailers, like we talked about Jackass Forever was kind of the inspiration for this, but also throughout there, uh, Matrix Resurrections kind of reached that point for me. Mm. I'd seen so many movies that um, hearing the the that that song and then hearing jonathan groff who apparently is pretty good in the movie i haven't watched it yet but hearing him at the end is like back to the matrix i'm like dude what are you doing and yeah so and then the other one from recent one i'm gonna throw out there is top gun maverick simply because it's the only movie i think that was delayed because of the pandemic that still hasn't come out um and uh so every time I see that trailer, and you know it's going to start popping up again because it's supposed to come out like Memorial Day. We're gonna, it's, it'll have its like fourth different run in the movie theaters. <clears throat> and I don't know, I don't know if that movie actually exists. I think they may have just shot the trailer and they're just delaying releasing the movie because the rest of it doesn't exist. Anyways, uh, some other ones I have here. Um, the trailer for Funny People basically gives the entire movie, but in a slightly a different trailer. way, and yeah. it's a really long trailer. Yeah. It's a good one. Um, yeah, so that's a good one. Uh, the trailer for Flight Plan with Jodie Foster. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, that that trailer. It, for the January release. Yeah, it's one of those where you you start watching it and you're like, oh, this could be an interesting premise. And then by the end of the trailer, like, nope. <laughs> and then... Um, Another bad uh, Peter Sarsgaard character. Right? Yes. I like that uh, movie. I, I think I gave it three stars. It's a decent movie, but the trailer makes it look horrible. Uh Dream Girls, and here's the reason why I have Dream Girls on the list. My favorite line from the trailer for Dream Girls is when Jamie Foxx looks at the girls and goes, "If I'm lying, I'm dying." And then in the movie, they use a different take, and it makes it sound so much worse. I'm like, "Why did you use the different take from the trailer? That's like the best line in the trailer," and uh, it ruined the trailer. So that's on there. And then the last one is uh, a trailer that was completely oversaturated, way used way too much but I never got tired of it and is possibly better than the actual movie. And that's burn after reading. Oh, that's a good trip. I have that. I know. My, that's what I'm saying. It, it had been, it had been used so much, but I never got tired of it. And it turned out to be the trailer was better than the actual movie. I like that. They use the actor's last names. It's like Pitt, Clooney, Swinton, McDormand, yeah. like that, Malkovich, you know, Malkovich. And then they, <laughs> have, they have the, those, when it those makes stills. Sense. Yeah, but it has to be the Red Band trailer. Like that that yeah. might have been the yeah. 
Anyways, all right, Todd, honorable mentions. Yeah, so I also had Burn Arthur Reading and How Do You Know. <laughs> I also had uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. The, you know, oh, the, the feel bad movie of Christmas. We saw that trailer for like six months straight. Uh, Machete Kills. It made me think of School of Rock because of the song. And I just wanted to hear Jack <laughs> yeah. Black sing the song. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, Machete Kills, Battle LA, uh, You Don't Mess with the Zohan. These are all, again, around oh. the exact same time. And the one that I have recently was my TV show pick, and that was Chad, which I know Terry agrees with. The Chad? Nassim Patrod movie. Or oh, show. yes. Good call. Yeah. Nassim Patrod. I think that's it. Yeah, name. that's it. That's it. <laughs> but yes, for the same reason as Bucky Larson. Yeah. Now, I will say, I think two movies that are currently playing trailers are maybe future entries to this list. I'm getting really tired of the Cyrano trailer and the bad mm. singing in it. And uh, I'm also getting really tired of the Marry Me trailer with J-Lo and Owen Wilson. That is uh, that comes out really next week, though. Getting... So, so uh, yes, uh, we only have to endure it for a, a few more uh, days. But And we'll apparently now bad. going straight to Peacock, too. So. Last year, the one that was like that was that was it? I mean, maybe it was not the year. Maybe it was the year before. But it was like the photograph or whatever. That one with Lucky Stanfield. Like that one, I saw that trailer like a hundred thousand. Oh times. yeah, I don't think and I ever yeah. saw that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you did. If you went to the movies <laughs> at some point and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you was that about. last year or the year before. I think it was last year, 2020, not last year. Yeah, February 2020. Yeah. Oh, okay okay so 2019 is when it was playing all the time that makes more sense all right time to predict adam's list zach what do you got oh shit okay number five a star wars sequel <laughs> number four batman and robin or a bat batman sequel uh number three sonic the hedgehog maybe he'll talk about how fans didn't okay. like the look of sonic. i was thinking that too um number two baywatch and number one avengers infinity war for the reason I brought up earlier, because it was sort of a mocked trailer when it came out. All right. Uh, my list, number five, Drive. I saw that on a lot of lists of like bad trailers or misrepresentations of movies and trailers. Uh, number four, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, number three, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Number two, Vantage Point. And number one, the original Sonic the Hedgehog trailer. Hmm. With the bad CGI. Hey. Number five, I have some random horror movie sequel. I, I went with Paranormal Activity 6, The Ghost Dimension. Uh, number four, I have uh, Downsizing. Number three, oh, I have Dumb one. and Dumber-er. Number two, Star Wars Clone Wars. And number one, the Ghostbusters reboot. Okay. Which I think is a lock to be on his list, right? All right, here we go. So... Um... Do we have a recording? With we don't have music? a recording. He Dang said it. this would be a hard one to record audio for. So here you go. So some of these trailers played way too much and annoyed me, and some spoiled the movie in their trailers. Honorable mentions, Suicide Squad, Fast and Furious 6, and Dead Island, the video game. Okay. Nice. Here we go. Number five, The King's Man. Unlike the Jackass trailer, this trailer got on my nerves. Uh, it played every showing of any movie. Good pick. That's fair. Number four, the emoji movie. Played so much that eventually my daughter saw the trailer and she uh, propositioned us to see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. 
Uh, number three, the Ghostbusters 2016. Knew it. <laughs> a third film that isn't as bad as people say, but they lead you to believe it's part of the main franchise. Number two, Terminator Genesis spoils the big John Connor oh. twist in the trailer, and it played a lot. And number one, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 basically showed the entire movie in the trailer. All right. I had his number one, but I had it number three. I had mm. his number three, number one, and he also had a Terminator movie. You did. Did you say did you say he'd have a Terminator movie? No, I had a Terminator movie. You had a Terminator. OK, but I mean, you did have his number one. So I guess in our normally in our rules, you would win. OK. I win again. I knew the Ghostbusters thing was going to be on his list. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't have the Sonic trailer because I, that, that I, I pissed was everybody off. That. He went with a lot more recent movies. The King's Man, like, come on. Like, that that didn't get a, that as much as as recently. No, I didn't there. think that one was. Well, and they, they kept changing up which trailer was shown. So I, that's why I didn't, I, I didn't mind that one as much. Matrix, though, was the same trailer for three months. So I have 37 and a half. Zach has 23, and Terry got up to 22. Oh! One for some reason. And Adam has one for some reason. Because you weren't here, Todd. You weren't here. That's true. I gave points to multiple people, apparently. (laughs) We weren't there. (laughs) We weren't there. All right. Trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Void is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Zach won trivia last time. So Todd and I had movies that we had to watch. And Todd, why don't you go first? Okay, this is on Zach's top 10 of 2021. It is Le Note, or Our Own, I think is how Zach uh, taught, said it both times he said the movie. Uh, but uh, Emile... Pierre plays Magali, who is a French-Canadian teenager in Quebec, and she is in this, like, really sort of tightly knit small town, and she gets pregnant, and she is not really willing to talk about it or say, like, who the father is, and it sort of throws the town into, like, this weird upheaval thing, and it's a really moody movie, and, like, the, the atmosphere is pretty effective. The lead <laughs> is really great in, like, a Caitlin Deaver kind of way. Like, it feels a lot more like an American small town than it does, like, a French movie. And the character dynamics are all complex. No one's really that easy to figure out. The, the whole thing is from sort of Magali's uh, perspective, like um, her trying to do everything her way and maintain some sort of like order in her own life and not really need the, the rest of her community for help. It's, it's wrenching without being like exploitative or political. And I, it's only got 120 votes on IMDb, which is way too little because when Zach reviewed it on his top 10 list, it, there was only 117. So I was one of the next three votes. People need to watch this because it's a really great movie. I, I give it a three and a half stars. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this was a total like random movie. I think I saw the, the poster for it. I saw that it was French, French Canadian, I guess. Um, female director. I'm like, I'm, I'm on board. This movie was, I thought, riveting. Like, I remember, I, maybe I mentioned this on, on our reveal, but like, I paused the movie what I thought was 15 minutes into the movie. And it was 55 minutes into the movie. Like I was totally engrossed in the story. I didn't know where it was going. It definitely, I, I said on the pocket, it had some Alan Ball sort of stuff to it, which is why I thought you'd like it. 
But right. like I, I think and, and it, it it does some stuff that it, you just don't expect. And you you think you kind of know the direction where it's going, but then it becomes there's issues about race in the movie that I think are really fascinating. There's issues about uh, gender. There's issues about, uh, you know, um, uh, statutory rape. It's like really fascinating and it doesn't ever feel like a soap opera. It feels like very lived in and authentic. I agree. I mean, it, like a, in a way, it kind of reminded me of like Euphoria or something, but mm-hmm. but with Kate, Caitlin Deaver as the main character. Yeah, and I, I agree with you Canadian, too. Canadian, right? I think she is. I agree with you too that it's it, it's definitely a downer. There's like an air of grief over the whole movie because the character at the beginning of the movie, no no spoilers, but she's you know lost one of her parents, and so um, it's basically really sad seeing how these, particularly the adult characters, just ruin their lives through their their actions or their inactions in some cases. And you, it, that party scene toward the at the end of the movie. I mean, this this movie does not have a, a, a very happy ending at all. Um, it's fascinating. I I, I would I, I want I want to be in in that you know uh, environment more. I want to see more of it. So it, great movie, and I'm glad you liked it. The French Canadians they are always great at showing messed up uh, lives. Cool. All right. So now to the movie I had to watch, and uh, Zach said this was in honor of. Uh, Aaron being strapped down and covered in honey and salmon. Um, and <laughs> Oh, that's what you watch. I conference. had to watch Grizzly Man. Uh, <laughs> 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 which is just kind of horrible to say it's an honor of, you know, a jackass bear stunt. I had to watch a movie about a guy getting eaten by a bear. Um but uh, yeah, so I had to watch Grizzly Man from 2005, written and directed by Werner Herzog. And I had to hear about Timothy Threadwell and how he would go live with the bears. Um, yeah. Because the main character in the movie is Werner Herzog. The main character is <laughs> Werner Herzog. Like, we, we had to see, we had to have a scene where we watched him listen to the audio of them getting eaten. That like that that was a scene that happened. No, and we watching him be watched, listening to the audio. That 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 happened. Anyways, so yeah, it's the story of Timothy Treadwell, this guy who would go live with among the bears in Alaska for the summer, and he did it for thirteen years, and then eventually, um, it it did not end well. <clears throat> but um. Uh, this movie, it starts out and you get that, that opening scene of him talking about how he needs to be a samurai and and a, a good warrior and all this stuff to live among the bears. And I'm like, OK, what the hell is this? This is this is is this the movie? And then you hear Werner Herzog come over. This is Timothy Treadwell. I'm like. This is the strangest thing I've ever witnessed. But then you settle into it and it is fascinating and compelling. And I like that they don't they don't save the the tragedy of the end for the end. Like they talk about it all throughout and um, and witnesses of it. And they talk about different people. And I find it fascinating just how misunderstood timothy treadwell was because nobody really understood what he was and who he was i don't even know if Werner herzog fully understood who he was but um 
but he he was this guy he was a conservationist and he would go live among the bears to just to and everyone's like he wanted to become a bear and then that's not what he was doing he was going because that's where he the he he loved those creatures so much and he wanted to tell other people about what they were um and eventually he lost track of all that and that's how he ended up ended up getting uh dying but it i I give it three and a half stars. Like this could be like a four star documentary by the end of it, but there's just too much that is obviously staged that didn't need to happen. Like the, the give the giving of the watch scene, like the guy who gives it to her at like, looks at the camera at one point is like, okay, we're done. Right. Like you got your shot and that that's all we needed to do. Um, so there was too much that was staged to kind of add to it. Herzog is distracting, but the story of Timothy Treadwell is fascinating and compelling, and I kind of loved it at the same time. So, yeah, three and a half stars. Yeah, I think it's among Herzog's best documentaries. <clears throat> I actually saw Timothy Treadwell on the David Letterman show. I was familiar with him um, prior to the documentary, and Dave always kind of made fun of him. He was sort of a, l- lampooned in a way. Uh, of course, real- but, but that's just Dave doing Dave. True. The real tragedy of Timothy Treadwell is that he uh, lived before social media. I mean, this, this is a guy who should have been on Instagram. He oh, should have been an influencer. Yeah. That that really, he was, you know, 15 years too early. Um, I will always remember the scene where he listens to Timothy Treadwell's tape and he says, you can never listen to this. Uh, <laughs> that is you should way, destroy this. That is way more powerful than actually listening to the tape or having a character listen to it. That's a great scene in the movie. I understand Todd doesn't like that Herzog inserts himself into the movie, which he does with almost all of his documentaries to some degree. But I think Herzog, all of his all of his documentaries are unified in a way. They're kind of all sort of about the same thing, um, somewhat. Kind of like how Kevin Smith's movies in the '90s are all sort of in the same universe. And uh, you know, Timothy Treadwell is just like uh, you know the guy that crashed his plane and rescued Don. Um, I mean, he's you know an adventurer, someone who's uh, in the wilderness, willing to risk himself and be a warrior among these bears. And I I love the documentary. I think it's great, uh, but it's also one of the biggest disagreements that Todd and I have ever had. So I'm glad that you've uh, sided uh, with, the, with the right uh, view of the movie, Terry. Yeah, I think the I think the story outweighs <laughs> the distraction, but he is distracting. I mean, not. I'm not distracted by the fact that he's narrating, but it's by the fact that he insert, like you said, he inserts himself into the movie. He, he, uh, he is his own character. He, he's give at times he's not narrating. He's commentating. But wouldn't you prefer Werner Herzog or (laughs) Jeff Tremaine or, you know, some other lesser (laughs) director? I, I, I want a narrator. Not I'm, I find it funny. I'm looking at this, uh, he's he's built in the movie as playing himself not he's not the narrator because he's not he's himself and, and so a combination of that and then stage stuff like the the coroner it, the medical examiner that it was just so staged is like let's find the creepiest me that we can to interview and say these lines like it was all scripted for him and that i didn't like but like the the conversation with like the the um the one airplane pilot that just thought that thought he got eaten because, or no, he wasn't getting eaten by the bears because the bears thought that he was mentally handicapped and they felt sorry for him. That guy, that was a compelling interview because he, it just showed that nobody really truly understood who he was and what he was doing. 
Todd, you don't like it? I mean, I watched it that one time, and I was just like, I mean, I, I couldn't get past Herzog. I mean, I wanted to watch a movie about Tinker <laughs> Treadwell, and I did feel like I didn't could see that. I, I understand that point. You should watch, did, Todd, did you ever see the Herzog documentary about the death row inmates? He really doesn't uh, insert his voice in that documentary, and I mean, that's, that I think that's... Uh, into the Abyss? Is that yeah, Into the Abyss. That, I think, is his best documentary, maybe because he li he limits his persona. <clears throat> I think I did see that. I, I mean, right. I like some of his movies, just not that one. Well, let's uh, let's see who's going to be assigning movies for the next time we do this. Zach, let's do trivia. All right, we got three quick categories we're going to do because we're running a little late on time here. Uh, so we are going to talk about Jackass trivia, but Jackass box office trivia. So we're going to look at the three uh, previous Jackass movies. And I want you to tell me, um, of the three Jackass movies, um, they all they all debuted at number one. Can you tell me any movie that made $1 million the same weekend that those Jackass movies were released? So we're going to start with the Jackass the movie. And if you can name movies... Can you give us the release date? Yeah, you gotta give us the release date. Oh, well, that's. I mean, no I know fun. the year. I don't know the the. You, well, no, okay, the fine. It's, October twenty October twenty fifth, two thousand two. So there were nineteen other movies that made a million dollars that weekend. Nineteen other movies. Wow. Okay. We're gonna start with you, Todd. <laughs> okay. Um, Spider Man. No, Spider-Man came out much earlier that summer. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it could be easily could have made a million dollars still. But okay, whatever. I guess so. Um, I'm looking on here to see if they even have it listed. I don't even know if it was in theaters at that point. You should get negative points for that. That's a bad guess. Terry, do you <laughs> have any guesses? Um, October 2002? One of them's very obvious, but... Uh... Treasure Planet. Uh, well, tr it's seeing as Treasure Planet was a was a bomb, and I mentioned that on the podcast earlier. That's also a terrible. It guess. Still could have guys, made a million dollars. Negative one to you negative one. Suck. Yeah, I agree. Negative one to negative one is the score. How about my Big Fat Greek Wedding, Sweet Home uh, Alabama, Red Dragon, Punch Drunk Love, The Ring was number two. Um, Jonah, a Veggie Tales movie. You missed it. Wow. Okay. We're going to do the same thing, hopefully with better results, for uh, Jackass number two, <clears throat> which was number one on September 22nd, 2006, the weekend of September 22nd, 2006. Maybe that was the weekend. Well, I'm not going to say anything. Um, let's start with Terry this time. There were also 19 other movies that made a million dollars that weekend back in 2006, maybe a little more recent. Can you name one of them? The Departed? One. We're going for one. No, see, I didn't. I, I that's why I thought I just I tried. Did, I, I didn't want to leave right around that same time. It, 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 it must have been like was, a weekend after. Yeah, I think it was a couple weeks after that. So you're at negative two, Terry. Uh, uh, I, okay. Todd, do you have any guesses? We're, we're going to say you lose points if you miss this. This makes it more interesting. Uh, I'm going to say the Devil Wears Prada. 
The Devil Wears Prada, I believe, came out that summer. But you're a little closer with that. That actually made $363,000, but it was not um, a million. It was number 29. What was the date? Uh, September 22nd, 2006. October 6th, Departed came out. So close. What about Borat? Uh, Borat, I don't think, was released yet. Um, other movies, number two that week was Jet Li's Fearless, Gridiron Gang, which had been number one the week before, Flyboys, Black Dahlia, All the King's Men. Are we supposed to get these movies right? Yes. <laughs> uh, Little Miss Sunshine also was in the top ten that, that week, too. That came out, like, in, like, March, didn't it? No, that was a, it was a early fall movie, I remember. It's a Sundance movie, maybe, if it... Yeah, I remember seeing it back in, in Portland during the school year. Okay, so uh, I think we're going to say... I'm not going to take Todd down because he actually had a movie that was on this Oh, so list. it's negative two to negative one. So it's one. negative two to negative one. Todd I picked the movie the that came out the weekend <clears throat> after. It's, it's, it's the prices right rules. You can't go over. Okay. July 26th. One, came one out. last one. Jackass 3D, October 15th, 2010. 17 other movies made a million dollars at the box office. We're going to go with you, Todd. October 2010. I'm going to say The Town. The Town is on the list. We have... Oh, when we I went to a lot of movies. One. Amazing. The Town was number six that weekend with $5 million. A little over $5 million. So now the score is zero to negative two. Terry, you have a response. <laughs> Oh gosh. Um Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3 I think came out that summer. Um Yeah. But it is right beneath the million dollar. It made no! 703 million. It was the first one that on the list that didn't make a million dollars. So, I will not deduct you a point, but I think that makes Todd the the winner. Todd, do you have any other movies that you can name from that weekend? I was thinking Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. Mm, yes, that's also there. That was number 10, 3.2 million. And missing a, 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 a the social one. network had to have been right in that same month. The social network was number three, 13 million, 13.5 million. Also, so like maybe Black Swan is <clears throat> probably right around then too. Uh, I don't see Black Swan on here. Right came out a little later the first one that popped into my head was true grit but i think that was a christmas release that was christmas yeah uh the town oh you just said the town uh secretariat red life as we know it also a bad trailer easy a it's kind of a funny story and let me in i remember the kind of funny story trailer too yeah yeah i remember that trailer as well all right with a score of zero to negative two this is like golf hey i got another one didn't i Oh, yeah, did, did you say get... social network? Okay, so one to negative two is the final score. Okay. No, That's... Wall Street. I got Wall Street, right? Oh, he got two. Oh, yeah, he got two of them. So he, he okay. ended up with two. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Something to we don't less than nothing. Show. So Todd wins. He gets to pick stuff for us to watch and host trivia the next time we do it. And he gets the lead off quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Todd, go for it. Uh, so my quote of the day is a quote from Steve-O. Um, so at one point he said, I think it's important for me to show that sobriety hasn't made me soft. 
I'm on a mission to prove I'm still a nutcase. And I think you've done so. Good, sir. <laughs> I think Steve-O has the number one stunt that I wouldn't want to do, which was the B stunt. Oh, that's uh, pretty yeah. I, I bet that was his idea. Although I, I also think the one that I, the other one that I would never want to do ever is the one with the boxing ring. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's a, that's fair. I'm surprised Steve-O didn't do that one. That seems like his, his territory. Just like the Bernard Pivo uh, questionnaire now. Would you absolutely <laughs> not like to attempt? Yes. All right. My quote uh, comes from Jackass Forever, and it comes from Dave. And it was like my favorite quote of the whole thing. And it was after a stunt, he just simply says, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> it's a lot funnier when you when you watch when you watch know the, the when you know the context, yeah. it's really funny. But <laughs> like the fact that that's the first thing he thinks of and says it in the moment like that is really funny. Anyways. All right, Zach, what do you got? I'm going with the Werner Herzog of film critics, Matt Zoller Seitz, who gave this movie four stars. And he says in his review, I suppose you could call this two on the nose, but you know what else is two on the nose? Pretty much every frame, pretty much every frame of every iteration of Jackass, including ones where people get bashed on the nose. I don't know. We, we, don't, we don't think of Jackass typically as the most witty or urbane screenplay. So I'm glad we, we got at least one quote in them. All right. Well, with that, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review wherever you find your podcasts. Until until next week, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.